podcast uh, i'm your host james and uh we're here once again to talk about some nfl football we'll be talking about the recap of super wildcard weekend uh this past weekend and we'll also be previewing the upcoming divisional playoff round uh, we'll be looking at some nba pickups and we'll be taking a look at the nhl uh, west division as well as uh, taking a look at some players from the World Juniors and just the upcoming slates in both the NBA and the NHL, along with injuries in all the sports. Uh, we'll start with the NFL uh, recap from this past weekend. I'm joined once again by Nate. Hey, Nate, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, your Browns got a big win this weekend. I can still see you're rocking that brown scarf. It looks good on you, man. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, let's just hop right into the recap. Uh, we'll start from the first game on Saturday. Um, the Buffalo Bills narrowly beat the Indianapolis Colts by a score of 27 to 24. Um, I know you picked the Bills heading into this game. I took the Colts. It was a very back and forth game. Any team could have come out on top of this one. But uh, as we've seen, the, the Buffalo Bills did come out on top. Um just looking at some of the totals uh, for Buffalo, Josh Allen uh, threw for 324 yards and two touchdowns. He also rushed for 54 yards and a score. Um, Stefan Diggs caught 128 yards on six catches and one touchdown. Gabriel Davis had four catches for 85 yards and Cole Beasley added seven catches for 57 yards for the Bills. And on the Colts side, Phillip Rivers threw 309 yards and two passing touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor rushed 78 yards and one touchdown with Naeem Hines adding 75 yards on the ground. Um, and in terms of receiving, uh, Michael Pittman had five catches for 90 yards. Jack Doyle, seven catches, 70 yards, and a receiving touchdown, as well as Zach Pascoe getting three catches for 37 yards and a touchdown. Um, I just wanted to ask you, Nate, uh, what are your thoughts on this game, especially with the Bills coming out on top? Um, I think it was a, it was a close call for sure. Um, I, when I saw that the bills were only able to get a field goal, I was wondering like, are the Colts gonna like make a comeback victory, but the bills were able to hold on. So I think their defense looked pretty good. They were pretty clutch. Yeah. I think, uh, Buffalo did sh uh, show a lot of people that they can play defense. Um, and then uh, their offense, uh, I know they didn't produce at the level they had been over the past few games, but they did what they needed to do uh, to get everything done and to win this game. Um, yeah, and the Indianapolis Colts, I don't think that they should, you know, fault themselves. Uh, they had a good game. I know one of their field goals hit off a goal post. They missed some fourth and goals. Uh, I mean, just some bounces that didn't go their way. They easily could have won this game. So I think the Colts have a lot to look forward to next year. Um, taking a look at the, the next game, it was the uh, NFC game, uh, NFC West game to be exact, uh, with two teams from that division, the LA Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. The Rams do come out on top of this game, uh, 30 to 20. And um, I know you, uh, both of us picked the Seahawks, so uh, that didn't look good on our slate. Uh, we both expected the Seahawks offense to dominate this game, and it did not. 
the Rams defense really dominated and Jared Goff did play. I know he wasn't at a hundred percent because of his injury, but the Rams were still able to get it done. Uh, Goff threw for 155 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Cam Akers rushed for 131 yards and a touchdown. And then in the receiving game, Cooper Cup had four catches for 78 yards. Robert Woods, four catches for 48 yards and a touchdown. And Akers added two catches as well for 45 yards. And yeah, this team, they didn't really rely totally on offense. I know they had a defensive touchdown in there and they, uh, the Rams had an overall good game. Um, yeah, looking at the Seahawks, they weren't able to do too much on offense. Wilson only throwing for 174 yards. He did throw two touchdowns, but also an interception. Chris Carson rushed for 77 yards on the ground, with Wilson also rushing for 50 yards. And then DK Metcalf had 96 yards through the air and two scores, with Tyler Lockett just adding two catches for 43 yards. And uh, Nate, I want to get to you about this game. Uh, what happened in this game? Uh, why did the Rams uh, upset the Seahawks here? And uh, what do you like about the Rams going forward? Um, well, the Rams showed us why they're the number one defense in the league currently. And um, I mean, like Russell Wilson's been doing this for a long time. There's not a lot of defenses out there that can just stop him like that. And he's been doing it in the playoffs too. Yeah. And like uh, like I said before, like Metcalf is really hard to stop one-on-one, but they were still able to stop everyone else. And you can't just rely on one receiver. Yeah, I think that uh, even with the Aaron Donald injury uh, partway through that game, they had a lot of uh, playmakers on that defense to be able to hold um, the Seahawks. They put a lot of pressure on the quarterback and they were just able to find ways just to you know, uh, get sacks, get interceptions, and then just uh, also closely defend all of the receivers. Um, and yeah, Aaron Donald should be back next week. I'm excited to see uh, what the Rams can do in the divisional round of the playoffs. Um, moving forward uh, to the evening game on Saturday, it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Washington football team. And I both of us did pick the Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers did come up on top 31-23. Um, uh, some people said that this was going to be an easy game for the Bucks, but it didn't look that way. This game was actually closer uh, than people originally thought. It was only an eight-point game, 31-23. to 23, And um, Washington football team really played well. Uh, quarterback Alex Smith didn't start, so they started backup Taylor Heineke, and he really went off in this game, 306 passing yards with a touchdown and an interception. He also rushed for 46 yards himself and a touchdown with Antonio Gibson adding 31 yards on the ground. JD McKissick uh, rushing in a, a touchdown on the ground as well. And then in receiving, Cam Sims had 104 receiving yards on seven catches. Terry McLaurin, 75 yards on six catches. Logan Thomas, 74 yards on five catches. And then Steven Sims, three catches for 33 yards and the touchdown. And yeah, uh, this uh, Washington team, uh, they have a lot to look forward to in the future. They have a lot of bright young stars, both on the offense and the defensive side. Although the defense wasn't able to do enough to stop Tampa Bay, uh, Tom Brady throwing for 381 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, in the rushing game, Leonard Fournette at 93 yards on the ground and a touchdown. 
And then Mike Evans had 119 yards uh, receiving on six receptions. Cameron Brait, four catches for 80 yards. Chris Godwin, five catches for 79 yards and a touchdown. And Antonio Brown added two catches for 49 yards and a touchdown. And uh, Nate, I want to ask you, I know we thought uh, Tampa Bay was going to walk through this game. Um, even though it was closer than we expected, uh, what did you think about Tampa Bay in this game? Um, well, I mean, it's Tom Brady, right? And he's done good with worse. And he has like a bunch of really good wide receivers to throw to. I think he has uh, Fernet and Fernet's a uh, good uh, running back. Uh, the Washington football team, their defense is like fourth in the league. But I mean, there's only so much you can do that to stop an offense like that. Yeah, like we didn't even mention Ronald Jones. He was a late scratch for this game. I believe he had some kind of injury. And as well, we didn't re mention Rob Gronkowski, who had some looks in the end zone, but he wasn't factored in as much in the receiving game. So they have even more weapons that they didn't use. This team is absolutely loaded on offense, and I'm really excited to see how they play next week. And um, yeah, uh, what do you think? you think that some of these other players will have to factor in if they're going to win next week or do you think that uh, with what they put on the field this week they uh, this team can go far well I think they're facing another really good defensive uh, team this week so I think it'd be uh, good to have as much weapons on the field as they can yeah I think I can agree with that but Tom Brady is just really playing at, at a very high level of football again I know some people were saying oh he he dipped off a little bit at the end of last year. You know, he wasn't the same Tom Brady, but it looks like he's gotten back into the, the form that he usually is uh, in the playoffs. Um, moving on to the Sunday slate of games, we had the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Tennessee Titans. Um, I know in our predictions, we went the opposite way. You took the Baltimore Ravens and I took the Tennessee Titans. Um, the Ravens did come up on top with a score of 20 to 13. They got uh, one more touchdown. Um, Lamar Jackson had a fantastic game. He really, uh, really uh, proved himself in this game that he can win in the playoffs. I know he'd been questioned a lot in the past. Uh, he threw for 179 yards, and uh, but but that was uh, just through the air on the ground. He ran for 136 yards and a touchdown. Uh, J.K. Dobbins added 43 yards on the ground and a touchdown, um, and then through the air. Um, uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown uh, had seven catches for 109 yards. Mark Andrews, four catches for 41 yards. And yeah, this team just looked like a well-oiled machine. They could run the ball. They could catch the ball. Uh, Lamar Jackson, he couldn't be contained in this game. They looked really solid in, in the victory here. And then looking at the Tennessee Titans, uh, they had a rough day. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, 165 yards. He did throw for a touchdown, but also an interception. Uh, Derrick Henry only rushed for 40 rushing yards, which is very surprising. And I think that was one of the main factors, Baltimore being able to stop uh, the rushing offense for the Titans. Um, in the receiving game, A.J. Brown, six catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. And then Anthony Ferkser added two catches for 44 yards. And the rest of the team was pretty quiet. Uh, they didn't do too much. Um, Nate, what, are your, what were your thoughts on this game? Uh, Baltimore getting the victory and how they looked in this game. 
I think the defense of the Ravens has to get a lot of credit because there's not a lot of teams out there that can stop Derrick Henry like that. Like only 40 yards. Like when have you ever heard of Derrick Henry only getting 40 yards? Yeah, this guy's been putting up 150 plus in a lot of the games this year. I think he averaged, what was it, 138 yards per game, like something insane like that. He had an amazing, I know he had over 2,000 rushing yards uh, this season. He had uh, one of the more memorable seasons for a running back, but then he was just silenced in this playoff game. So, yeah, what do you think about the Ravens going forward? Um, They... I think they have the tools to make a deep run. And for Lamar, he had a 77, I mean, not 77, 70% completion rate. So, so imagine if he just throws the ball more. Yeah. I think that he, uh, some teams might zero in on him on the ground. So he definitely will need to throw the ball more against uh, other teams. He's just got to make sure that he, uh, you know, he's just focused. He doesn't panic and just run around too much. You know, like, you, you know, when, when there's a strong pass rush, you know, like quarterbacks can start to panic. They can run around. They can make uh, rushed plays, rush passes, that kind of thing. So hopefully uh, Lamar just uh, stays steady the way he has been. And then he can continue to uh, move forward in the playoffs. And um, yeah, looking at the, the game after that, it, it was the New Orleans Saints against the the Chicago Bears and uh, both of us uh, kind of knew who we thought was going to win that uh, we picked the Saints and, and we were correct they won uh, 21 to 9 in this game Chicago really didn't get much offense going in this game uh, Mitch Trubisky just threw for 199 yards and a touchdown uh, David Montgomery only had 31 yards on the ground and in terms of receiving Allen Robinson six catches for 55 yards um, and then Jimmy Graham adding two catches for 25 yards and a touchdown. And there just really wasn't much to go around uh, for the Chicago Bears. That touchdown actually came late in the game uh, with the clock at zero in the fourth quarter. So uh, the Bears really didn't get any offense until the final two minutes of the game. So it, it was really uh, tough to, to watch uh, the Bears offense. Uh, their defense did do a pretty good job against the Saints. Although Drew Brees threw for 265 yards and two touchdowns, Alvin Kamara rushed for 99 yards and a touchdown. And then you had uh, Deontay Harris catching uh, seven receptions for 83 yards. Michael Thomas, five catches, 73 yards and a touchdown with Jared Cook adding four catches for 40 yards. The Saints just did what they needed to do to win this game. And uh, I don't know, do you have any other thoughts on this game? Well, they're looking like a dangerous team. I know, like, the Bears don't have the best offense, but to shut a whole team down until two minutes in the fourth, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, like, the, uh, Chicago just really didn't generate a lot of chances. Um, I know the Saints do have more to give when it comes to offense. Chicago just had a really good defense as well. It was a very defensive battle. So I think um, next week New Orleans will have the chance to put their – uh, offense to the test um, and then going to the final game on Sunday your Cleveland Browns even though you didn't believe in them last week they got it done and I mean they got it done in amazing fashion they won 48 to 37 the score is definitely closer than the way the game looked um, it got out of hand really early um, just breaking down the way it started the, they put up four straight touchdowns in the first quarter went up 28 to zero. I believe at halftime, they were up like what, 35 to 10 or, or something crazy like that. Like it, it was, 
it was it was amazing um how, how it went uh, actually let me check here um when halftime yeah, yeah it was 35 to 10 that was the score at halftime and then yeah they just they just uh, didn't release the gas pittsburgh tried to come back in this game they did a good job making the score close at the end but in reality this game wasn't really close um before i get into the stats just what, what are your thoughts on cleveland in this game well, this was the complete opposite of, I think, what most people were expecting. Like I said, Hunt and Chubb were just going to punch holes as a joke. I like I knew they were going to be good, but I didn't think they were going to be that good. And I wasn't expecting them the defense to get a pick six on the first play of the game either. I don't think anyone ever saw that coming. Yeah, uh, it was either a pick six or there was like a fumble. There was, I think there was some kind of miscommunication going on there. At the, I think the, the ball got flipped over Ben's head. And then it was rolling around around the five yard line or so when I think they picked it up and got the touchdown. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And then, yeah, it was there was just a lot of interceptions thrown. Um, looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Ben Roethlisberger did throw for 501 yards. He had an amazing second half of the game. First half, though, he, he uh, had four interceptions total uh, in the game. He threw for four touchdowns, but had four interceptions. So uh, it was more of a back and forth game for Roethlisberger. Um, James Conner only had 37 yards on the ground, but he did add the rushing touchdown. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster had a good game, uh, 13 catches for 157 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Deontay Johnson adding 11 catches for 117 yards with James Washington adding five catches for 72 yards and Eric Ebron adding seven catches for 62 yards and a touchdown. And uh, Chase Claypool also having two touchdowns to go with his 59 receiving yards. And yeah, Pittsburgh really produced on offense. They just took too long to do it and their defense just really didn't help them out. What are your thoughts on uh, why Pittsburgh's defense just didn't come to play this game? Well, I'm not really too sure, to be honest, because their defense is really good. But uh, I think the Browns just have enough versatility to kind of they can they can kind of like solve problems on offense. Like even if you stop the run, there's two really good running backs and Baker's just been looking really good. Like they had I think they had they had like third stringers on the O-line and he was getting they were uh, trying to do like a pass rush almost every play and Baker was just like he was throwing within two seconds yeah, almost every play good. yeah I was noticing that as well Pittsburgh really just couldn't get into the pocket against him and yeah he threw for 263 yards and three touchdowns uh Nick Chubb rushed for 76 yards Kareem Hunt rushed for 48 yards and two rushing touchdowns um, and then in the receiving game, Jarvis Landry, five catches, 92 yards in the touchdown. Nick Chubb, four catches, 69 yards in the receiving touchdown. Austin Hooper had seven catches for 46 yards and a touchdown as well. And yeah, this team was just so well-rounded in this game. Uh, their defense played fantastic. Their defense needed to play better than Pittsburgh's defense to win this game, and they definitely did. Uh, you could see the, the way this defense played especially from the beginning of the game with that, uh, I believe it was a fumble recovery. And then there was an interception on the next drive. So it, it was a, it was a very interesting uh, way uh, for this game to start. Um, and then, yeah, the, the finish was definitely something that Cleveland fans were hoping for. And then uh, going forward, what does Cleveland need to do if they're going to have uh, any chance of moving on uh, in these playoffs? 
I think they're going to need to continue to um, tighten their defense. Like their defense was looking good. They were getting a lot of picks and they were forcing Ben to do like really risky plays, which obviously blew up on him. Um, I think if they're going to have any chance next week, they're going to have to force Mahomes to do the same somehow. And I think they're going to also have to not let the team try to catch up like for like um it almost um backfired when they were uh giving up uh too many points to the Steelers and you can't do that to the Chiefs the Chiefs are going to burn you if you do that yeah for sure and I I think definitely uh with uh, Kevin Stefanski uh rejoining the team this week he'll be able to sort of sort through a lot of the the issues they did have in the second half of this game and sort of just realign this team and get them ready to go for next week. Um, but after um, this game, I just wanted to take a look at um, the, the playoff teams that were eliminated. So um, we'll start with the Indianapolis Colts. And I just want to look at um, one uh, playmaker on the offense that they could potentially part ways with, or I think they should part ways with. And then I just want to get your thoughts just so that the listeners can have an idea, maybe who they might not see on these teams next year for fantasy. Um, for the Indianapolis Colts, I have running back Marlon Mack. I believe in week one or two, he tore his Achilles and that kind of paved the path for Jonathan Taylor to get his workload. And then Jonathan Taylor just had the big breakout season for the Colts. And then with nine M Hines, just sort of being that pass catching back. And he also did an amazing job in his role. So I feel like with these two uh, younger backs in the backfield, uh, I think that just uh, leaves Marlon Mack expendable. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on that. That's, that's just a thought of mine that, you know, uh, I, I believe he might be a free agent. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, if he is, I don't think they'll be taking his option. I think they'll just be letting him go to free agency, especially if he does, uh, like I've been hearing, uh, want to be a, a starting running back still. What are your thoughts? I can definitely see that. Um, Marlon Mack has just gotten an Achilles tear, and normally that's like almost that's like a, a really bad sign for an athlete. Um, normally their explosiveness goes down by a lot and uh, that's a really big problem for running backs. They need that um, athleticism. So I think the Colts might want to try to go for someone younger. Yeah, I think Jonathan Taylor did show that he is the running back that they envisioned in drafting in this past year's draft. Uh, he really just proved that he's that explosive runner that they were looking for on first and second down. And then Nyam Hines has just been amazing in catching passes in the backfield on third downs and, and so on. And even in the red zone, both running backs really played amazing this year and factored into the Colts' amazing run game. So, yeah, I do see Marlon Mack as the expendable player in this offense. Um, just going on to the next game, the Seattle Seahawks, um, I just believe that um, – most of this offense will be here to stay next season. Guys like Russell Wilson, for sure. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Guys like Chris Carson will most likely be around still. I think that the most expendable player they have is Greg Olson. I know they did sign him this past offseason, but he's he's gotten a lot older now. Um, they can always roll with both Will Disley and uh, Jacob Hollister at tight end or they might want to draft someone in the draft and maybe just get younger there because Olsen also dealt with a lot of injuries this year. So there's a chance that he might retire and go into broadcasting like he originally planned. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? 
I think that's going to be a theme for a lot of these veteran teams. Um, they've had players that were really good for a long time, but it seems like they're slowing down and they might need to look for someone else. Yeah, I think also with the salary cap not rising next season, they're going to be forced to cut ties with a lot of veterans with bigger contracts as well. Um, guys that normally you might keep around for another year, you'll just cut ties with. Um, and yeah, um, what, what do you see out of the Seahawks offense this season, assuming they do move on from Greg Olson? Um, it's kind of hard to say because um, they're usually good every season, but I think they're just going to, I guess, need to find, find a way to push uh, past some tough defenses. It might not necessarily even be like they need a new player. It could just be uh, this was just a bad game. Like sometimes you just have bad games, right? Yeah, and also um, for years, the offensive line has been really letting Wilson down. He's had to scramble a lot just to make plays. Um, I think also maybe getting a younger tight end in there might be able to help in terms of blocking um, with the offensive line, that kind of thing. So I think maybe if they do release Greg Olson and they maybe move towards someone younger, I think that might help them in terms of blocking as well. I know Chris Carson's a very explosive runner and they uh, they really, uh, they could have parted ways with him for multiple seasons, but they decided to keep him on because they like the way he runs. They like the way things are going with him. So. Yeah, I, th I think Olsen is the most expendable person in this in this offense. Um, and then looking at the uh, Washington football team, um, the only player I could really find, I know they have a younger core. The only player I really thought that might be expendable is Alex Smith, just because of all of his injury history. It's a very extensive injury history. And then also the way that uh, Henneke played this, this past week, he, he looks very promising. They could either move forward with him or they could draft another quarterback, which would make Alex Smith expendable. Um, what are your thoughts on Alex Smith possibly being uh, cut from the Washington football team? I could definitely see that. Um, Washington football team is like, they're, I guess they're on the cusp of being able to make deep playoff runs. They just need a good quarterback who can kind of lead them there. Mm -hmm. So if anything, they'll probably be trying either in free agency or the draft. And that's definitely going to make Alex Smith expendable. Yeah, I feel like they have a lot of good young talent. They've got Antonio Gibson at running back. They have uh, Terry McLaurin. Uh, and both of the Sims guys as their uh, receivers. They have Logan Thomas at tight end. They have a really solid uh, um, bunch of skill players. They just need that one quarterback to, to be put in there. Alex Smith, don't get me wrong, he had a fantastic run this year, but uh, with his injury history, he's not reliable enough is what, is what I'm saying. And I think they need to upgrade to someone more reliable this offseason. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, moving to Sunday's eliminated teams, we'll start with the Tennessee Titans. And uh, one thing I did want to mention with the Titans, I know everyone talks about Derrick Henry only having 40 rushing yards, but Corey Davis didn't catch a pass on, on Sunday at all. No receiving yards. And Corey Davis has put up multiple goose eggs this year, along with very good games. I know he had a breakout year this year, but... I think that he might be the player on this offense that they can afford to part ways with just because of his inconsistency. Um, AJ Brown, fantastic receiver, 
Tannehill loves him. Tannehill will target him. He'll always be getting catches. Derrick Henry, amazing running back. In terms of their tight ends, both Jonu Smith and Ferkser uh, seem to be working well in this offense. Uh, I know they had Jonu blocking a lot more this year. Uh, Ferkser was catching a lot more passes, and then the roles kind of reversed here and there. So they both seem to be doing well in the offense. And then uh, Ryan Tannehill seems to be really fitting in as this quarterback. I think that the expendable receiver or, or sorry, skill position player in this team would be Corey Davis. I just want to get your thoughts on that. I could definitely see that um, because they were needing to be able to throw to somebody to beat the Ravens. And you can't have a player that uh, drops passes and doesn't really produce for you like that. And I think outside of um, upgrading your defense, trying to get another reliable wide receiver is uh, probably one of their only options right now. Yeah, I think wide receiver is definitely the offensive position that they can improve on. I know their offensive line hasn't been amazing, which is what could have led to Derrick Henry's bust game this week. I know he's overcome a lot of the deficiencies in this offensive line, um, but it, it, when you're up against a strong defensive line in terms of like teams like the Ravens, you know, teams like the Rams, uh, Washington football team, the, these teams have strong uh, defensive lines. Um, it's really hard to run the ball uh, with a weaker offensive line. And yeah, uh, I think that uh, that's definitely something Tennessee could also look at. But yeah, Corey Davis just seems like the logical option in terms of someone that might be expendable for this team. Um, moving on to the Chicago Bears. Um, I know everyone wants to talk about how Allen Robinson didn't want to stay. Um, but I think what what player they might really want to move on from. I know, I know you could talk about Jimmy Graham, but uh, Jimmy Graham did have a, a very good season above expectations um, for, for both his age and, you know, the, the suspected role he was going to have in this offense. He really overproduced. So I am going to go with Mitch Trubisky on this. Uh, they didn't take his, I believe, fifth year option. They didn't take it. So, which means he is going to become a free agent this summer, most likely. And I don't see him returning with the Chicago Bears because I feel like that uh, they need to upgrade to someone as his uh, offensive potential is very limited in this offense. Um, we saw Alan, Alan Robinson's frustrations. And I think if Trubisky does move on, that increases the chances of Chicago being able to keep a guy like Alan Robinson, who, in my opinion, is one of the top 10 receivers in the league with his talent. Um, and yeah, um, running back David Montgomery really stepped forward this year. He took a major step forward. They'll be getting Tariq Cohen back next year from injury. So they'll have that third down pass catching uh, running back that they, they really struggled uh, with that this year because they didn't have that guy. And uh, yeah, in terms of the tight ends, whether it's Jimmy Graham or Cole Komet, they'll, they'll have two reliable tight ends uh, or they'll have the one that, that seems to be playing better. And then also wide receivers, um, uh, Darnell Mooney and and others, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be on on the cusp as well in terms of receiving. So I just believe that they need to upgrade their their quarterback position. What are your thoughts on on the Chicago Bears offense and possibly them moving on from Mitch Trubisky? I think they're gonna probably want to look for someone who can just make plays on offense. Someone who is a little bit more reliable. Um, Trubisky, he is like okay but he's not a playoff quarterback if that makes any sense yeah i can see that um and in terms of the chicago team like they have an outstanding defense 
and they they just need i believe that one piece uh, and i believe it is the quarterback because i mean if robinson is the one that becomes expendable and you replace him with someone is that really going to fix the offense i don't think so i think they really need to address the quarterback position i don't know what are your thoughts on that i mean if your wide receiver is like top 10 in the league i don't think replacing him is going to be a good idea yeah, I, that's the thing, though, is uh, with him not being satisfied, if they do keep Mitch Trubisky, they could risk losing him. And then that would just uh, downgrade the offense as a whole. And yeah, it, it would just be a, a rough situation for Chicago fans. Um, yeah, I, I think that Trubisky is definitely the one that needs to go in this situation. I agree with that, too. Yeah, and then moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this team went 11 and 0 to start the year. They finished with a 12 and 4 record. They went into the playoffs, and I mean their offense did perform really well. But I think in terms of a team standpoint, the person that I really think that they need to part ways with is Juju Smith-Schuster. Reason being, I believe he is a free agent this summer, and he is going to be looking for uh, a longer uh, term contract. And um, well. Both reasons for Pittsburgh. The first one being uh, he seemed to be a, a very big distraction this season for the team. Um, I'm not criticizing him as a person. I'm just saying that a lot of the things he did might have been a distraction, might have been uh, uh, motivating for, for other teams in terms of like all the dances he was doing. Also, his influence on young receiver Chase Claypool. Uh, they really expect Claypool to be a big part of the Pittsburgh Steelers' future. And with the way that uh, him and Juju were sort of um, being a distraction for the team, I don't think that that was good for them. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of him being on the field, um, I believe they'll be parting ways with him because I do believe that they want to keep Deontay Johnson as he was their best wide receiver this year. And then Chase Claypool is their their best young talent. So in terms of the three main wide receivers, I think he'd be expendable. Um, Eric Ebron could be another one, but I just – he had a, a good end to the season. I know he struggled – early on and in the middle of the season, but he, he was pretty good in, in this playoff matchup. Um, and then uh, James Conner might be leaving on his own, but I don't think that he is sort of the main issue for this offense. It, they don't have a run game in general. So I feel like if they develop a run game, they could just put in another running back there and do well. I don't think they're just solely reliant on James Conner. So I think that the real issue here is potentially moving on from Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, but what do you think about this? I was actually wondering about your thoughts on Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I know a lot of people are saying he's getting old. They might need to get a new quarterback. Me personally, I think he's still, I think he's still good. But he, I, the age thing is kind of setting in and... He was basically trying to play like he's still in his prime. But I think at this part of his career, he needs to kind of, I guess, play play like he's he's aging, right? Like he can't just try to break tackles from O-line guys anymore. Yeah, I think that uh, in terms of Ben Roethlisberger, I don't think he was the issue in this offense. Uh, he said that he's going to come back if the Steelers want to bring him back. So uh, he doesn't have plans to retire. He just threw for over 500 yards. You rarely see that in a football game. Usually players go over 300 yards in a game on a, on a good night, but 500, he, he played a really good second half, especially of the game. 
Um, I just believe that um, this offense as a whole just wasn't strong together. And I think that could be with a lot of the distractions that were going on. I know a lot of people uh, have felt that maybe the, the culture on this team needs to be changed. Maybe that's why you feel that uh, Ben Roethlisberger might need to, there might need to be a changing of the guard in terms of their quarterback, but I just don't believe they have that quarterback. And then, uh, from where they're drafting, I don't think they'll be able to get a high-end quarterback. So I think they, they just might need to keep Roethlisberger around for one or two more years. Um, I think they might get a running back in the draft, whether they get someone like Najee Harris from Alabama or, or someone in that range, uh, whoever they might get might be able to replace James Conner if they don't want to sign him to an extension. And then uh, in terms of wide receivers, yeah, they have Johnson, Claypool, and also Washington had a good game on Sunday as well. So if they do move on from Juju Smith-Schuster, I think that they'll still be okay in terms of their offense. Um, yeah, if you have any other thoughts on on Pittsburgh, you can go ahead. I would say that, um, like, again, they're one of those teams that, like, we thought they were going to make a deep playoff run, but the Browns were just playing really good. They were on fire. Like, it's just that they have, like, maybe one or two weaknesses, one – one of them being the running game. So they just need someone who can kind of improve the running game a little bit, and they'd probably be able to make another deep run again. Yeah, I think that uh, Pittsburgh has the pieces on defense to be able to play great. I, they just kind of had a meltdown this past game, uh, I believe, as players like TJ Watt. And um, I know they'll, they'll be getting some of their injured players back as well and, and as they continue to grow and improve. I think that their defense will be solid for years to come. It's just that offense might need to be tweaked up a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Um, let's now move into the preview for uh, this week's uh, divisional round matchups. All right, let's jump into the uh, NFL preview for this coming week's divisional playoff matchups. Um, Nate, it's nice to be chatting with you about the NFL. And um, yeah, let's hop into the first game. Um, on Saturday, the early game is going to be the LA Rams uh, at the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay coming off a bye, LA coming off their win against the Seattle Seahawks last week. Um, in terms of players that uh, might be great for uh, daily fantasy or playoff pools, um, definitely the Green Bay offense. Um, even though they are against a stacked uh, LA Rams defense, you should be able to trust guys like Aaron Rodgers, um, uh, Devontae Adams, obviously, uh, also potentially Aaron Jones, uh, and then tight end Robert Tanyan. Um, Nate, uh, I just want to ask you, do you think anyone else from Green Bay will factor in, or are those just the main guys? This is a tough Rams defense. I think those are going to be the main guys. I was going to say Valdez Scantling because like Aaron Rodgers has been like making making him really good. I remember... Um, he was getting like Valdez was getting like 20, 20 points per game in like fantasy. So he could potentially um, pop off if they need um, another wide receiver to throw to. But I would say um, you may or may not want to pick him up. Depends on how you feel. So he's more of like a, a riskier tournament type play then is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So um I guess for people that play daily fantasy, you'll know that if you're playing for cash, 
you'll want to go with people that are more reliable, guys like Devontae Adams and so on. But if you're playing in a tournament, you want to go for guys with high potential but low ownership. So someone like Valdez Scantling, I assume, would be one of those riskier plays that you take for maybe like a playoff tournament or something. Yeah, something like that. Okay. And then uh, moving over to the Rams, um, I think I would avoid Jared Goff in this matchup just because Green Bay is one of the better uh, passing defenses in the league. Um, they've just done very well uh, against guarding the pass. So I think a guy like Cam Akers uh, at running back might be a good option for this team. Uh, you might see Robert Woods get some runs and some catches. So he, I think he might be a little bit better than a guy like Cooper Cup, who, you, I mean, you could probably roll him in if you don't really like a lot of the other options from other games this weekend. But um, I don't really like any of the tight ends in this game for the Rams. Um, is there anyone I'm missing, Nate? Or is that pretty much it? I was actually thinking about the kicker. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but he got, I think it was like 12 points against the Seahawks. And with uh, the Packers defense, they're probably going to be looking to him to uh, cook, uh, get some clutch um, field goals. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're playing cash, uh, you don't pick kickers, but I think for tournaments, uh, you choose kickers. So yeah, if you are in a in a playoff tournament and you're choosing a kicker, I guess if the Rams don't find the end zone, they'll definitely be trying a lot of field goals. So that would definitely be an option uh, for you there. Um, and then looking at this uh, game, the way it's going to play out, uh, who do you see taking this game? I still think the Packers have an advantage. Um, the Rams have a really good defense, but so do the Packers. And I think the Packers have a better offense overall. And Goff still has that thumb injury, I believe. Um, he, I think he only got um, one touchdown. So there's a possibility that um, they're going to probably be leaning, leaning to uh, Cam Akers a bit more. Yeah, I think that they can lean to Cam Akers because um, Green Bay has sort of been uh, on the, the rough end in terms of um, their their rushing defense. It, it has improved. Uh, they did stop Derrick Henry a, a couple weeks back. But um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to lean with Green Bay as well. I just feel like um, Aaron Rodgers is just on a, on a power trip this year. He's just really uh, showing what he can do in, in this offense. And Devontae Adams has really become that high-end uh the uh, recognized uh, receiver in the league and he just can make plays he's an amazing route runner he can do all sorts of things and then they also they're balanced they have Aaron Jones also in the backfield producing uh, they some people have called him Alvin Kamara 2.0 <laughs> so I mean hey he's, he's been a good runner this year so yeah I think I'm gonna lean with the Green Bay Packers in this situation but this could actually be a game that's closer than a lot of people expect it to be um, moving on to the Saturday evening game, it'll be the Baltimore Ravens at the Buffalo Bills. Um, Baltimore coming off their win over the Tennessee Titans and uh, the Bills coming up with their win over the Indianapolis Colts this past weekend. Um, just looking at uh, potential uh, daily fantasy players for these teams, uh, for the Bills, Josh Allen, um, Stefan Diggs are the two main guys. I know this this Baltimore defense is a lot tougher, but I think if there's two guys that you can 100% rely on, it's those two. Um, is there anyone else from the Bills offense? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, you could uh, look to Cole Beasley. I know that um, 
when Stefan Diggs is uh, getting guarded too closely. Uh, sometimes uh, Josh Allen likes to throw to Cole Beasley, and he's pretty reliable. So uh, you might want to look to him. Yeah, I think that um, the Ravens slot cornerback is their most vulnerable cornerback. So I think Cole Beasley playing out of the slot. I, I think I believe he had seven receptions this past week. So that's definitely good volume for him. And I think that he can definitely be a, a good player. And then in terms of their run game, I know Moss got hurt. And then Singletary really hasn't been as consistent. I, I believe their best runner is still Josh Allen. Yeah, he's the best passer and the best rusher on the team. For this team, yeah, I think so. Um, and then moving on to Baltimore, I think you can roll with Lamar Jackson. J.K. Dobbins as well has been fantastic as a running back for this team, stepping into the number one role. I think you can roll with Mark Andrews at tight end. Um, he's been finding the end zone almost every week now, uh, coming up with usually at least five catches per game, which is pretty good for considering tight ends this year. It's been kind of tough. Um, Mark Andrews will be in most lineups. I think that if you're doing a daily fantasy lineup for this weekend, I think you'll see Mark Andrews picked as the tight end for most lineups as tight ends pretty thin uh, right now in the playoffs. And then you can look to Hollywood Brown. Also, he's had a, a good string of excellent games. I believe he had close to or over a hundred yards in this past week's game. So I think Baltimore definitely has a, a good uh, group of options. Uh, is there anyone I'm missing? And what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty good, um, number of options to choose from. Um, I was thinking the other wide receivers, depending on how Lamar feels on his throwing game. Um, I think that if Lamar feels more confident in throwing hit, the other wide receivers might, uh, open up, but I was also thinking, um, Gus Edwards, I think thinking back to the Browns game, um, back in the regular season, they had a lot of problems trying to stop him. So if he gets um, more minutes, you might want to look to him too. Yeah, I think also Buffalo has had some struggles with their run defense. Their pass defense has been a lot better than their run defense, I believe. Um, so I think there is room to fit possibly two running backs. And if Baltimore does go down in this game, that is a possibility that they go down early. They could be relying more on uh, J.K. Dobbins rather than Edwards. But then if they go up early, uh, they might be resting J.K. Dobbins or just giving Edwards more of the carries. Because Edwards seems to be that more grounded pound guy. And then um, Dobbins seems to be more of that, like, all around. He can catch passes. He can do, like, whatever, right? So, and Edwards, uh, his yards per carry is amazing. Uh, he, he's He's been one of the best over the past couple seasons in the league. So, I think they have two good options at running back, but I would trust Dobbins over Edwards for sure. Um, and then, yeah, uh, yeah go ahead. No, I was just going to say I could see that. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, uh, looking at this game um, in terms of uh, who you think is going to come on top, uh, what are your thoughts on this game? Who might win? I think it's going to be 50-50. Um, like you said, the Ravens have a really good run game, and the Bills have had uh, trouble trying to stop the run game but the Bills have a really good passing game. Uh, that being said, uh, the Ravens are pretty good at stopping the pass, but also thinking back to the regular season versus the Browns, Baker was able to uh, get stuff done against the defense, and 
I believe jo uh, Josh Allen would also be able to do the same. But yeah, it's still 50-50 for me. Um, but who do you get the slight edge to in this game? Like who would be your pick? I guess my slight, the slight edge, it's hard to say. I want to say the Bills, I guess. Okay, so you'd give the slight edge to the Bills just because you believe Josh Allen can sort of pass on this defense like Baker Mayfield did. Yeah. Yeah, um, when I take a look at this game, I sort of see a few different things. Um, looking back at Buffalo's matchup last week, um, the key players for the Colts that were able to, to get things done against Buffalo, Jonathan Taylor on the ground, tight end Jack Doyle through the air, and when you look at this Ravens team, they're also solid in those two areas. You got J.K. Dobbins on the ground. You got Mark Andrews at tight end. And you don't just have Phillip Rivers as your quarterback. You have a dual threat in Lamar Jackson. So I think that the Bills did struggle with the Colts this week. The Colts also have a solid defense, just like the Ravens. Um, the Bills did struggle uh, this week uh, with the um, Colts, who are not the number one rushing team. The number one rushing team is the Baltimore Ravens this season. Um, all of their running backs and Lamar Jackson combined for over 3,000 rushing yards this season. So I think that Buffalo is going to have a hard time stopping them. This game is going to be close. This is not going to be a – no team's going to run away with this. Um, but, yeah, I, I do see Baltimore having the slider edge. Um, I am going to go with Baltimore, uh, first of all, to be different from you. And also I do see the Ravens surprising a lot of people because a lot of people are just writing off the Ravens in this game. I don't think they should be written off. People wrote off the Colts last week and they made it a game. So I think the Ravens can do the same thing this week. Um, any last thoughts? I'm just thinking it's either going to be a high scoring game or a low scoring game. Yeah, so it's you mean it's either going to be like a, a, a 30s game or like an under 20s game is what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so you kind of see it going that way. Um, I could see a high-scoring game here because um, most people expect it to be lower with Baltimore and their defense. But I believe uh, Josh Allen can score points. Lamar Jackson can also score a lot of points. It can go both ways. So yeah, I, I can tend to agree with you. Um, teams could really shut each other down in this game or it can be uh, very explosive. Um, moving on to the, the next game, uh, your Cleveland Browns are going up against the best team in the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, just looking at this game, um, yeah, we'll take a look at the Browns first. Um, guys that you could possibly roll with um, in this game for the Browns. You could possibly go Baker Mayfield at quarterback um, just because there's a possibility they will be playing from behind in this game, which means he's going to be passing the ball a lot, which means passing yards, which means fantasy points. Um, on the ground, Nick Chubb and potentially Kareem Hunt as well, especially, like I said, if they go down and they're passing the ball more, you might see Kareem Hunt on the field more. So I think both running backs should be a factor in this game. Um, I'm also going to go with both Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper as potentially guys. I think Austin Hooper might be the second best tight end on the slate in daily fantasy this weekend next to Mark Andrews. Um, uh, I think Travis Kelsey is a little too uh, high price for most people. So I think in terms of the, the decent picks that people might go for, I think it would be Mark Andrews and Austin Hooper. Um, but yeah, um, 
Hooper is a very good guy to match up against Travis Kelsey in terms of if you were uh, in sort of a, uh, uh, going back and forth in scoring between the two teams, if the Chiefs go down the field and quickly get a touchdown and then the Browns have to do the same thing, I feel like the Browns do now have enough good weapons to be able to do that kind of a thing. Um, what are your thoughts on the Cleveland offense this weekend? Uh, they definitely have a lot of weapons and they have a lot of um, wide receivers that you wouldn't expect to be really good, like Higgins. Um, I don't think people were expecting Higgins to be as good as he was this season. Um, if you're looking for an extra wide receiver, you could go with him because Baker does like to um, throw to him and he's for some reason, even though he's like on paper, he's not the best wide receiver. He still finds a way to just catch the football somehow. Yeah. So you think he might be a low end option that people can look at and maybe like tournaments or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I can agree with that. And then uh, looking at this Kansas city offense, uh, they've actually been resting for two weeks. They rest the final week of the season and this past weekend with the bye. Um guys you can roll with um they're going to be high-end options for daily fantasy which means um it's going to be tough to fit them all in your lineup with your lineup budgets but um patrick mahomes probably the best quarterback on the slate this week considering rogers does have to go up against the rams uh kelsey probably the most expensive tight end in daily fantasy this weekend uh tyree kill one of probably one or two of the best wide receivers this weekend along with a guy like stefan diggs and potentially Devonte adams i think um tyree kill would be one of the best um for low-end options uh if watkins isn't good to go maybe a guy like mccall hardman um yeah maybe demarcus robinson and then in terms of their run game uh, a Le'Veon bell or a clyde edwards hilaire whichever one is uh, ready to go if clyde edwards hilaire is not ready to go um Le'Veon bell would definitely be the the bell cow for this team um is there anyone that i missed from the Chiefs, I think that's uh, pretty. Sounds pretty accurate to me. Um, yeah, it, in terms of the Chiefs, uh, you don't really know who's going to be the main guy in the game because they have so many weapons. But I think Kelsey has been the most consistent out of all of their point producers, and you know Mahomes is just going to be putting up touchdowns like he normally does. Um, it's just a matter of uh, how many and how often. So. Um, yeah, um, in terms of the Chiefs players, I think those are the people you can look at. And in terms of the, the game, um, I, I know you're a Cleveland fan. I know you didn't pick them to win last weekend. They did come through. Um, I just want your thoughts on this game. Uh, first of all, who you think it's, uh, is going to win? And I guess just your thoughts on the Browns this weekend. I think on paper, um, Kansas City still has the advantage because they've had two weeks to rest. Um, the Browns have had um, injury problems going into the playoffs, but they were able to clutch it out with no head coach. So I think it's going to be a close game, but I think the Browns are going to be playing from behind because the Kansas City defense is pretty good, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to shut down the Browns. But I think that um, if the defense can't force... Mahomes to make uh, bad passes like they did to uh, Ben, they're probably uh, it's going to be a long night for them. Yeah, I think it's, it's I think I can agree with you. I will take the Chiefs as well as in this game. Um, 
the Chiefs have the number one offense in the NFL. We all know that. We we know they're coming in with a lot of confidence being the number one seed. But I also know Cleveland will be coming in with a lot of confidence as well. Um, the way their defenses stack up, they, they had pretty similar stats throughout the season. I think Kansas City was just slightly better. Might have been because they were in an easier division. So I guess you could argue that the Cleveland Browns possibly have the better defense, depending on who who's playing and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's just going to come down to the Cleveland offense, I think, in my mind. That's really what it's going to come down to. Can this Cleveland offense respond to everything that Kansas City throws at them offensively? Because uh, Cleveland has to stay in this game. If they go down it, by a big lead, like the way that Pittsburgh went down against them this past week, I, I don't see Cleveland coming back the way Pittsburgh did. So I think I don't think that their offense... Uh, really has that comeback mentality. They can keep up with other offenses. Like so, they ha- if Kansas City scores a touchdown, they gotta respond. I think that that's the best way. Cleveland Cleveland's offense goes with momentum, so they really need to rely on uh, getting momentum and just sort of pushing back against every time Kansas City scores against them. They gotta just push back and try and get a touchdown. I will say that um, I think uh, Kansas City they have been uh, struggling before get going into the playoffs like a lot of their games have been really close yeah so uh i guess there's a possibility that um if for some reason they either had too much rest and now they're rusty there's a chance that the browns could sneak up on them and i will also say that if the browns somehow figure out how to beat uh, Kansas City, they have a chance to go all the way to the Super Bowl. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I can agree with that. Uh, if you beat a team like Kansas City, that's just a huge confidence booster. Um, and then, yeah, also if Cleveland somehow gets off to a quick start like they did against uh, the Steelers, then they can sort of direct the tempo of the game because they love running the ball. And when you're in the lead and you're able to run the ball the way Cleveland does, it's going to be really difficult um, actually, the, the strategy, I think, to beat the, the Kansas City Chiefs, I mentioned it last week, is you have to be a very good team at running the ball, and you have to keep their offense off the field. So on your drives, you got to extend them as long as you can, waste as much time off the clock as you can before you score, so that they won't have much time to get their offense on the field to be able to put together drives. And I think that's the way you have to beat Kansas City, because the more times Mahomes gets on the field, the more points he's going to put up. Like, let's just be honest. You got to keep him off the field for as much time as possible. And having a solid run game is one of the steps. Uh, and Cleveland Cleveland does have a strong uh, run game. Uh, it was one of the best in the NFL this year. I believe it was in the top five uh, in terms of uh, rushing yards this year. So um, yeah, uh, Cleveland definitely has the, the tools to get it done. It's going to be a tough matchup. Patrick Mahomes is clearly one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, same with Kelsey being one of the best tight ends in the league. So I, I think it's going to be, uh, I know people are saying, oh yeah, Kansas is going to blow them out of the water. I don't think so. I think that Cleveland can hold themselves in this game. They just can't go down early. I, w- I would agree with that because the Steelers on paper also were ranked higher than Kansas City, I believe. And uh, Cleveland was still able to come out ahead. So, like I said, um, the even though the Kansas City defense is really good, I don't think they're good enough to shut down the Browns. Yeah, um, I, I still am leaning towards Kansas City, like I said, but um, Cleveland can make it close for sure. Yeah, it's not going to be a blowout. Yeah. I hope. 
And yeah, um, you're going to be cheering for the Browns for sure. So I, I believe it's going to be a pretty good game. Um, yeah, just looking forward to the, the Sunday night game. It'll be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. Uh, this team, these two teams played twice this year with the Saints winning both games. Uh, first, the, the opening week's matchup and then also the midseason matchup as well. Um, looking at the New Orleans Saints, um, potential uh, options for fantasy, for daily fantasy this weekend. Um, a guy like Drew Brees is a possibility if you're looking for someone at quarterback. He's not at the higher end of quarterbacks, but he'll still put up points for you. Um, running back, Alvin Kamara, obviously. Uh, no matter what defense he faces, he produces. I think he ran for almost 100 yards, even on Chicago's tough run defense. Um, wide receivers, I think Michael Thomas is the main guy that you have to look at here. Maybe Jared Cook at tight end. Um, uh, and then I don't know who else you like from the Saints team. Uh, if I forgot someone, you can mention it. Uh, I guess possibly Taysom Hill because of his versatility. Um, I think that if it be if it gets close, they might uh, look look to him to kind of uh, make some make some plays. Uh, they could probably put him in at like any position. They're they're not going to put him in at quarterback because they have Drew Brees. But um, if they need like an extra weapon, they might look to him. Yeah, I think the only way that I would recommend playing Taysom Hill for weekend fantasy is if he's not slotted at just the quarterback position. If you can throw him into a flex spot, he has that eligibility, then I, uh, he could be a recommendation. But if he's just listed as a quarterback, I don't think he's worth starting because I don't believe he'll be able to put up as much points as you'll be getting from other quarterbacks. Um, looking at Tampa Bay, um, this offense has just been flying. I think you can go with Tom Brady at quarterback. Uh, you can roll with, uh, well, check the running backs. If Ronald Jones is still not playing, I think you can roll comfortably with Fournette. If Ronald Jones is playing, it might be tough to see who gets more rushes. I know they lean toward Jones a little bit more, but Fournette had a really good game last week. He looked a lot better than what we saw from him earlier in the year. So I guess you'll just have to wait for reports. Um, wide receivers, Mike Evans had over 100 yards. Both Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin had touchdowns this weekend. You might even be able to roll with all three. Um, and then at the tight end position, um, both Gronk and Cameron Brait, um, they're not as reliable as other tight ends. I think I might lead, lean more to Gronk this week if you're looking at maybe someone in a tournament that you might want uh, low ownage, high upside. Gronk would be that guy. Brait, I don't know how many catches he's going to get. Uh, it'll probably be tough for him to find the end zone as well. So if I'm going to recommend a tight end for them, I think it will be Gronk. Uh, is there anyone I'm missing uh, from the box? And what are your thoughts? Um, I think that seems pretty accurate to me. I mean, what I'm thinking is that uh, I've, there's going to be a lot of um, wealth to be spread. The Bucks, they honestly, they're looking like what the Falcons were supposed to be. Because, like, you have a perfect storm of uh, Tom Brady and a bunch of good wide receivers and a good running back. They just need a good a good tight end. But I think uh, Brady's still – he's going to find a way to get a lot of points. Yeah, and I think that uh, even though they haven't been using Gronk as much in the receiving game, I believe uh, his blocking role, he's a very good blocking tight end as well. So if Gronk can sort of get to that level where he was in the playoffs back when he was on the Patriots – I feel like that uh, Brady can definitely rely on him as that main tight end that he might be looking for. 
yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, um, just looking at the way this game is going to play out, uh, who do you see taking this game, and how do you see it playing out? Um, I think it's also going to be really close, but um, I'm just feeling uh, the Bucks. Um, I think that uh, the Saints' defense is is really good, but uh, so is the Bucks' defense, and I think uh, Tom Brady is just. He, I think he's looking a little bit better than Drew Brees this season. I know Drew Brees has been like really banged up. He had that um, rib injury. His lungs are punctured, punctured and came back. He's feeling uh, better, but um, I still, I still think that um, the Bucks offense is probably gonna edge out a little bit, but it'll be close. Yeah, I think you're right about this game being very close. Um... I guess you uh, you were comparing uh, both sides. Um, if we compare both defenses, they're both very solid. I might give the slight edge to the Saints on defense, uh, just because they have a lot of playmakers both at the line, at the middle, and in the back um, with their safeties and corners. Um, Tampa Bay is not a pushover either. They have a lot of good players, uh, namely uh, guys like uh, Jason Pierre-Paul um, and, and many others as well. Um, they they have a lot of good playmakers on defense. Um, in terms of the offense, um, this year, I think Tom Brady is playing better than Drew Brees. I can agree with what you said there. Um, in terms of running backs, I'll, I'll lean towards Alvin Kamara in this matchup being the best running back over whether they play Jones or Fournette. And then in terms of the receiving options, I just think it's endless for the Bucs. Um, the Saints, uh, they'll, I mean, they'll have guys like Mike Thomas, maybe Emmanuel Sanders will factor, Jared Cook, others, but when you're lining up Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and Cameron Brait in a, in a five set, that's dangerous. And they even have Scotty Miller to stretch the field. Like we haven't even talked about him. He's been big in some games this season. Um, the Saints have won the two matchups against the Bucs this year, but I don't see the Bucs losing three in a row to the Saints team. I just don't see it. Tom Brady knows that they've lost two games against the Saints. And this is playoff Tom Brady. This is not regular season Tom Brady. So I think I'm going to stick with the Bucs too. I, I actually see them winning. I actually, I have them penciled in, uh, if you remember last week, for the Super Bowl against Kansas City. I, I believe you went Green Bay against Kansas City, was it? I think so. I don't really remember. To yeah, so I think both of our Super Bowl picks are safe as of now. But we'll have to see after this week if either Kansas City, Green Bay, or Tampa Bay gets eliminated this week. So we'll have to check that out. Anyways, yeah, it's going to be a great uh, set of games this weekend for the divisional playoffs. Um, any last thoughts? Um, I was just going to say that um, the state of football is like looking really good into both into the Super Bowl and to next season. There's going to be a lot of moves in the off season. And I think um, especially the AFC is going to look even more stacked compared to um, this season. So yeah, so a lot of good games in the future to be had. Yeah. Well, I mean, a 10 and 16 missed the playoffs in the <laughs> AFC. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. It is getting stacked there. So yeah, there's a lot to look forward to both this weekend and in the coming days. Um, now we'll move over to the NBA portion of the podcast where we'll talk about some pickups and some games on the slate. All right. Welcome to the basketball portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. I'm joined once again by Terry and Mete. What's up, guys? What do you do? 
What's going on? Yeah, let's just jump right into the NBA pickups for this week in fantasy basketball. Uh, there's been a lot of COVID-19 going around the league lately, and you might be uh, on the short end of, uh, of some of that uh, in terms of your lineups. And yeah, you might need some good fantasy players to pick up. So we'll just jump right into pickups. Uh, I'll start off with Austin Rivers. And um, at first you might think, oh, he plays for the Knicks, but actually he's been putting up sal- uh, solid stat lines over the past couple weeks. Um, he's actually even been getting over 30 minutes of playing time uh, since uh, COVID-19 started going around the league and since injuries have started building up for each team. Um, he's been also putting up solid stats, uh, usually hovering around 13 to 15 points per game, uh, adding about five or so rebounds and about three or so assists. Uh, and he's averaged at least one steal per game, which is also pretty good, as well as um, both his field goal and free throw percentage won't hurt you. So I think that he is a solid pickup. He's only around 25% owned. Um, I believe he was added at least 25, uh, almost 25% within the last week as he was under 5% owned before. So if you're going to jump on him, you should do it soon before he has a higher own percentage. Um, for my next uh, player pickup, I'm going to go with Justin Holiday. Um, he actually had been in the starting lineup this week and he had been uh, producing at a very high level. I know he might step out of the starting lineup this week, but uh, even outside the starting lineup, he's been chipping in uh, in almost every single category. Uh, he's been filling up the stat sheets. Uh, I think one game he even had four steals, but he's been averaging one or two steals per game. Um, his uh, field goal has been around uh, 0.5 recently, which is very good. Uh, that's not that's not something to be taken lightly uh, for a, a player that plays at the guard position. Um, and yeah, he, he's just covering most statistical categories in fantasy. Um, he was added over 10% in the last week. So people are really picking up on him and are adding him up. So um, add him up before he goes over 50% in most leagues. Uh, and then just jumping to my last pickup, uh, I'm going to go with Carmelo Anthony. I know that uh, he did have a rough start. Uh, I believe he started out either with COVID or with an injury. He had something going on at the beginning of the season. But lately, he's just uh, been playing a lot better. Um, he's been dropping close to 20 points per game, and he's been adding um, rebounds, assists. Uh, I believe last game, he also had two steals and two blocks, uh, which is uh, really good for his fantasy value. Also shooting at a, around 0.4 per game, which is not bad. Um, and his free throw is almost perfect. So you can't go wrong with adding Carmelo Anthony. And um, he's close to 40% owned. So uh, he's also another player that you need to hop on quickly before someone else in your league grabs him. Uh, That's my pickups for the week. I'll just jump to you, Terry. You said you have some uh, pickups to add as well. Most definitely. First guy I got to go over is uh, Hamadou Diallo from the OKC Thunder. Uh, I know for sure he's on Yahoo. He's probably shooting guard and small forward eligible. And I know... for a matter of fact, that he's probably give or take 38% owned in Yahoo leagues. Um, what he brings to the table is going to be a six man coming for this OKC Thunder team with George Hill being the starting two guard now, along with SGA. Someone on the bench is going to have to provide, and I believe Diallo is going to be the guy for that. Um, for the past seven games, I believe he probably is producing around 19 points, five rebounds, give or take three assists, as well as two steals game on top of that he isn't gonna 
trashier field goal percentages because I believe he's averaging 63 from the field right now. Only negative is at the charity strip, he's going to be under uh, 70, give or take, from the strike. Uh, next guy is going to be Gary Harris. With Michael Porter Jr. being injured or out due to personal reasons, I believe Gary Harris is going to be the main guy on the wing that you're going to look out for if you're looking for a guy on the Denver Nuggets. Um, he's shooting guard and small forward eligible, and I know for sure he's probably around under 25% owned in most Yahoo leagues. Uh, from the charity stripe, he probably averages 75%, and then from the field, he probably averages, give or take, 60 for the past seven days. Um, give or take, I guarantee he'll give you two, three-pointers a night, 15 points, three rebounds, maybe around one and a half assists, and a steal. Um, my final guy, probably in the shallower leagues, has got to be in his canter. I mean... He's still under 50% owned in Yahoo leagues. And if you need that third or fourth center on your roster, he's your guy. He's going to give you probably your points and rebounds. But aside from that, um, I believe that's it. Um, he's probably going to average you as well as a 68% from the field. But as a center, he is going to take your charity stripe numbers. Yeah, for sure. I think we've been talking about Cantor for the past three weeks, and I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten over 50% ownership yet. He's definitely one of the players that we've been recommending that you jump on uh, consistently on the waiver wire. And uh, Mete, I'll go to you. Uh, who are your three pickups for the week? So the first player I have to keep an eye on is Daniel Tice. I picked him because Tristan Thompson got hurt on um, Wednesday against the Heat, so that should open up minutes for him and he's a solid player like he'll he's a good defender so he could get you steals and blocks uh he can shoot the three-pointer and he doesn't try to do too much so usually he won't be taking too many shots so his field goal percentage shouldn't be too bad as i'm looking right now on espn.com it's showing me that in the month of January, actually, he's shooting 66%, which is amazing. The second oh, uh, and I'll add that he's 47% owned and he plays center position. The second player I have is Chetty Osman. Um, the Cavs, they have a lot of injuries going on right now, like every other team, you know, a lot of injuries going on, COVID. So it's opened up a lot of minutes for him. In the last five games, he's gone over 30 minutes every game, and he's a solid player. He'll get you points. Uh, this year, he's gone better at getting rebounds and assists and defensive stats, too. One problem is he's inconsistent, so he could have nights where his field goal percentage is really low. And he plays small forward, power forward positions on fantasy and he's 19% on and the last guy I have is Robin Lopez uh he's kind of like Tice I have him because uh uh Thomas Bryant went down a couple of games ago and he's now the starting center for the Washington Wizards they played a game last night which he double doubled actually 11 points 11 rebounds so I think he's a solid veteran, and if you need a center and you're really desperate, he's only 13% owned, so you could probably pick him up. 
Yeah. All right. That's good. Yeah. Um, Terry, let me go right back to you. Uh, you said you had some deep league pickups. Could you share those with us? Uh, first guy I got to go over is probably Lonnie Walker in fourth out of San Antonio. Um, he's probably under 20% owned, maybe around 20% owned uh, as of the recording. And I know for sure he's going to be small forward and shooting guard eligible. Uh, what he provides to you is basically simple. He probably He's going to average you 14 in the night three rebounds probably two assists and knowing that he's one of the more athletic guards in the association he's probably going to average you maybe a steal and a half a game for his percentages um unfortunately for a guard he's probably going to average you under 75 from the field i mean from the charity stripe and from the field he's going to average you maybe 43. um my next guy is a guy from indiana his name's doug mcdermott if you ain't known him by now and in deep league, or even in regular leagues in general, he's only 10% owned, maybe even less. Um, with TJ Warren out for Lord knows how long, uh, he's going to be the next guy up on the wing. I guarantee you he's going to average you probably two, three pointers a night, 13 points, maybe three rebounds and assists. And my last guy, uh, his name isn't really the first guy you come to think of for centers, but his stats are great when it comes to nine category. His name's Kelly Olenek of the Miami Heat, power forward and center eligible. And on top of that, he's averaging from the field, I believe 46%, as well as unfortunately 66 from the charity stripe. But from the past seven days, he's given us uh, three three-pointers, probably 14 points, five boards, and two and a half assists. And that's what I got for you when it comes to uh, deep league pickups. And I know for sure for Kelly, unfortunately, his stock is rising. So he might not be 20% owned anymore. He might be around 30 to maybe 40% range. Yeah, I think we did mention him last week as well. So it, these guys that we consistently mention week to week are definitely people that you should be jumping on in terms of pickups. Um, just going uh, around the league, I just want to get some of your reactions to some of the games that have been going on this week, as well as uh, j just to look at uh, the general uh, place of each team. Uh, Mete, I'll start with you. Uh, your Toronto Raptors haven't been looking as great, uh, dropping, I believe, three out of their last four games. Uh, might even be a, a longer losing streak than that. Uh, what do the Raptors need to do to turn things around? Um, there's a couple issues, I think. First of all, our rebounding needs to get better for sure. We're giving up way too many second chances, and we're not getting as many second chances as other teams. Also, noticing... Uh, problem in closing games for us. We've gone like these last two games against the Warriors and Blazers, we've gotten into a situation where we get the lead. We're under a minute and we just can't close it out. So it's really frustrating right now and I hope they could turn it around. Yeah, the, the Raptors really need um, more bounces to go their way and they just need to play a better overall all-around game. All right, Terry, let me get to you. Um, what are your thoughts on the Charlotte Hornets? They're on a four-game win streak right now, and uh, how do you feel about the development of LaMelo Ball? Well, he was considered the uh, guy coming out of this draft class. 
Um, even with the shortened training camp, you got to appreciate how he's just adapted into this uh, grown man's league. Um, and it's not just him alone. You got other guys that have uh, filled the roles of the supporting cast. You got Bismarck Biongo, you got Terry Rozier, you got Bridges in Washington as well, just providing uh, whether it's off the bench or in the starting lineup. And you got to appreciate the head coaching from the Charlotte Hornets team. Yeah, uh, they seem to be uh, playing very well as of recently. I know uh, LaMelo Ball was the youngest player to get a triple-double in an NBA game, so that's very impressive as well. Um, Mete, let me get to you, actually. Uh, The Denver Nuggets had a rough start uh, in the Western Conference, but they have been playing better as of late. Uh, Do you believe Denver will be a playoff team, or do you see them uh, continuing uh, to falter like they did at the beginning? Oh, no. Uh, Denver is definitely a playoff team. I, for my predictions, I think I had them top four or something. So it was just a rough start at the beginning, but I'm sure they'll pick it up. Yeah, um, they just uh, seem to not have things clicking at the beginning of the season, um, as well as some other teams. I know some teams have battled through COVID, um, and especially some of the top teams. Like I know Dallas has dealt with it, as well as uh, teams like Boston. Uh, The Miami Heat have had uh, COVID go through their locker room and uh, just some some other teams as well, like the 76ers. Um, Actually, back to you, Matty. I just want to get your thoughts on uh, who's a a team that's really surprised you in the East this year. Uh, For the East, I would probably have to say this is going to be kind of surprising, but the magic because even though they were a playoff team last year i just thought the east um got better and they really didn't improve in the off season but i was definitely wrong so they're fifth right now and i think when i did my predictions before the season started i didn't have them in the playoffs so they're playing solid right now yeah, and then bouncing to you, Terrio, in the Western Conference, just a team that's maybe surprised you early on. I know Houston's been one of the more disappointing teams in the West right now, but in terms of a team that impresses you, uh, who do you see impressing you in the West? Honestly, one of the teams that uh, really impressed me is probably the Phoenix Suns. I believe at the moment of the recordings, I believe they're probably third in the uh, Western Conference, and they've just lost a game or – they have just lost the game, and I believe they're probably six of six and four, maybe seven and four in the rankings. So you just gotta appreciate this uh, young up and coming team, just um, finding the way in this tough Western Conference. Yeah, I think uh, everyone expected Phoenix to be better with the acquisition of Chris Paul, but no one except expected them to ascend the way that they have. Um, and then, yeah, just getting to you guys. Uh, in terms of games going on this week, uh, in terms of a, a game that I'm really excited and looking forward to this week, uh, on Friday, uh, the Warriors will be playing those Phoenix Suns. Um, both teams looking really strong. I know the Warriors struggled early, but they've been on a tear as of late. Steph Curry looking like his old self and a potential MVP candidate this year. So I feel like that that's going to be an exciting game to see what happens. All right, Mete, I want to get to you. Um, what's a game that you're really looking forward to or you're really interested in viewing this week? 
So I'm really interested in the matchup between the Nets and the Bucks that's coming up on Monday, the 18th. And I think this is going to be a great matchup, especially if Kyrie and KD will play. And um, I guess it depends on Kyrie with his personal reasons and not showing up to games and um, recently being punished for being massless around his family, I guess. Um, I'm hoping he can play. If not, I still think this could be a great matchup. Even though the Nets are struggling right now, they have a um, good amount of depth at the guard position, I think, that they could make up for Kyrie with just Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think that that's still an interesting matchup, uh, even if Kyrie doesn't play. Um, yeah, the Nets looking to rebound from their recent struggles and then the Bucks just continuing to surge forward. Um, Terry, I'll get to you uh, on your thoughts of uh, a game that you're interested in viewing this week. Uh, the first matchup I saw this weekend was probably the Pacers and Suns on a Saturday a tab. But when I looked at Sunday, there was probably even a better one. It had to be uh, the Utah Jazz versus the Denver Nuggets. Um, honestly, it's a former playoff matchup. We knew what happened last year between these two teams. And, um, I feel like there might be a little bit of bad blood, even though it's at the start of the year and probably you're going to have a couple of players taking it easy. I feel like the Utah Jazz have something to prove just due to the fact that the Denver Nuggets do have their number when it comes to playoff time. Um, the names are there. You got Nikola Jokic, um, Paul Millsap, uh, Jamal Murray. And then on Utah side of the ball, you always got uh, Rudy Gobert, uh, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell. Um, these names don't always pop out, but these teams play like uh, some of the most well-oiled machines across the league, even though their records do not show it. Uh, Utah's at the moment is six and four, and I believe the Nuggets at this moment are five and five. But I guarantee you, this is the matchup to watch this weekend. All right, yeah, that sounds like an intriguing matchup uh, in terms of the slate this weekend. And um, once again, I want to say thanks, guys, for your input on the, both the fantasy pickups and the games ahead this week in the NBA. Uh, right now, we're going to move on to the NHL portion of the fantasy fanatics podcast welcome back to the hockey segment of the fantasy fanatics podcast i'm your host nathan and i'm with the hockey expert james kumar hey what's up man hey so today we're gonna be looking at the west division for the nhl and we're gonna see who's uh fantasy relevant from the world juniors and we're gonna look up some uh, we're going to look at some upcoming games for the NHL this week. All right. That sounds good. All right. So uh, let's start with the NHL West division and uh, we'll start with the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah. Let's take a look at the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, this is a young and upcoming team. So uh, there aren't too many uh, fantasy, fantasy relevant players from this team. Um, Ryan Getzlaff, um, when he's healthy, can definitely contribute in most categories for you in fantasy. His scoring has dropped down, but he still takes quite a lot of shots. He'll play on the top power play, and he'll generate a lot of hits. Uh, his plus minus might 
uh, drop a little bit this year because of Anaheim not being one of the better teams in their division. But I think he'll still be uh, fantasy relevant from the forwards as well as forward Ricard Raquel. I think he is their best goal scorer as of right now. And I, I believe that um, he could get between 15 and 20 goals if he really continues to, to break out in his goal scoring. Um, some defensemen to look at from Anaheim, um, newly acquired Kevin Shattenkirk. He's more on the offensive side uh, in terms of their defensemen. So he's someone you could look at if you wanted maybe a fifth or sixth defenseman on your team, as well as someone like Cam Fowler. Uh, who should see pretty good power play time for the Anaheim Ducks. He has had good fantasy seasons in the past. I know he's dropped down a little bit, but hopefully uh, he'll get his production back up. Sounds good. And uh, who are some uh, underrated players on this team? Uh, yeah, uh, one sleeper I'm going to look at is uh, Trevor Zagras. I know everyone got to see him in the World Juniors, and we'll talk about him more in the World Juniors segment of this uh, podcast, but I think that um, he's definitely a sleeper that should be looked at as uh, he is looking to jump straight into the Anaheim Ducks lineup after the World Junior Championships. And I think that maybe you might be able to get him at the end of your drafts, maybe in the second last or last round, and he should be able to turn in some value this year for you in fantasy. Sounds good. So how do you feel about the goalie situation? Um, in terms of the goalies, it's just going to be John Gibson again. Uh, he's one of the best goalies in the league on a, an underwhelming team. So his stats may struggle because of um, the, his team, but I think he's still a solid goalie. And if uh, the Ducks do rebound a little bit this year, he'll definitely be one of the more valuable fantasy goalies. But you'll definitely need to temper your expectations as we don't know how much uh, better the Anaheim Ducks will be this season. So it sounds like the Anaheim Ducks are a temporary expectations kind of team this year. Yeah, I think that based off of last year, they had a hard time scoring a lot of goals. So I can't really project a lot of forwards to be fantasy relevant, um, as well as their defensemen. But um, they're, they're a solid team defensively. So John Gibson should probably be the best fantasy option from this team, I think. Sounds good. And uh, now we go to the Arizona Coyotes. And uh, what are some top players for this team? Uh, yeah, let's look at some of the top players from the Coyotes. Um, Clayton Keller, um, he's their brightest young forward. Um, he did take a step back last year from the previous couple seasons. But uh, I think that Clayton Keller can be the best offensive player for this team. Um, it's just a matter of him, you know, finding the, the right line mates and, and so on. And... Um, yeah, the Coyotes moving on from Stepan might provide uh, different line mates for Keller, and that, that might prove to be better for him in terms of fantasy. Um, also, Phil Kessel, they acquired him uh, last year from the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he kind of had a, a slow year, but I think uh, another year in the Arizona system would be beneficial for Kessel. I know he's on the, the older uh, back nine of his career. And uh, I think that, you know, he might not produce as much as he did in Pittsburgh or in Toronto, but I feel like he'll still be a decent fantasy player for you. You know, he'll get you some goals, definitely get you some points on the power play and so on. Um, and then in terms of their defense, uh, looking at uh, defenseman Oliver Ekman Larson, it doesn't look like um, he's going to be traded this year. So he should 
be in Arizona and logging all of the top minutes for them. So he'll definitely contribute in fantasy as well as uh, defenseman Jacob Chikrin. Um, I know a lot, I've seen him going in drafts, you know, as the fourth or fifth defenseman for teams. And I think that is good value for him. He's definitely the second best defenseman on that team offensively. So he should definitely produce for you in fantasy. Sounds good. And uh, what are some sleeper picks for this team? Oh, sleeper pick. I'm going to go with Connor Garland. Um, He had an amazing rookie year last year, scoring more than 20 goals in his uh, rookie season. And I've seen him not even being drafted in most leagues this year. I'm actually surprised. I've seen him mostly ranked outside the top 200 a lot of times. And Garland's going to get every opportunity to play for this team. He'll most likely be on one of the top two lines, probably be on the top power play. And I think Garland can actually improve from from his stats from last year. He generated a lot of shots as well. So he's definitely someone that could be a a sleeper. If he's not even being drafted, you could just even draft him with your last pick in the draft and, you know, just just take a flyer on him or whatever, and he should be able to produce for you this year. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think about the goalies? Um, the goalies for this team, uh, Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta, they're both solid goalies. Uh, Darcy Kemper, uh, before he got hurt last year, was uh, actually in the running for, for the Vezina Trophy for goalie of the year. So he was really playing well. And Antti Ranta has been one of those injury-prone goalies that's a very excellent goalie when he's healthy, but he's not always in the lineup. So I think Darcy Kemper is the main guy. Um, I'd say he's probably in the top 15 goalies. Uh, this year for Arizona and then anti Ranta might be like a third goalie and a, a lot of times he might not even be owned in fantasy but um, if they are splitting starts Ranta's value will definitely come up but Kemper should be the guy for Arizona this year sounds good so it sounds like uh, for Arizona they definitely have some valuable players on this team Oh, yeah, they do have some valuable players. I know they've had trouble scoring at times, but I I actually think that Arizona has uh, the potential to be either a playoff level team or uh, maybe even a little bit lower than that. We're we're not sure exactly where they're at. So definitely uh, you got to temper expectations in terms of scoring. But in terms of defense and goaltending, they're, they're one of the best teams in their division for sure. Sounds good. And next we go to uh, the Colorado Avalanche. And uh, what are some top players on this team? Yeah, there's a lot of top players on Colorado. They should be one of the top three offensive teams in the league this year. Um, forward Nathan McKinnon, uh, he's a superstar in this league. He's a, he's a top three player in fantasy. Some people are taking him first overall over McDavid even um, because of his category coverage. He'll just cover goals, assists, power play, plus minus, shots, hits. He, he does everything for you in fantasy. He's that like a uh, one-man machine for you. He'll like carry your fantasy team. So he's definitely going as one of the top three picks uh, in the draft along with uh, both McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Um, and then uh, line mate Miko Rantanen. I've seen him go inside the top 10 players in, in fantasy drafts. He's being drafted really high. And it's because of his upside playing with McKinnon that uh, Rantanen can be taken that high. I know he's had injury issues, so I, I'd probably draft him just outside the first round, like maybe the mid-second round. But 
that that's just me uh, tempering things in terms of injuries. But uh, yeah, Ranton is definitely has the upside of a first round draft pick. And also uh, linemate Gabriel Landeskog is one of the other category covers. Uh, he'll cover hits, shots, um, goals. He'll play on the power play. You know, he, he's just one of those players as well. Um, and then second liners, both Nazem Kadri and Andre Burakovsky last year proved that they were amazing players. Uh, Kadri definitely covering the shots and hits uh, portion as well as being a good goal scorer. And then Burakovsky just being a, a really good point producer. And um, a, a lot of uh, people are suspecting that Burakovsky could even move onto the first line if they decide to move Landeskog down. So I think that Burakovsky has a lot of upside heading into this season for the Avalanche. As you can tell, they have a lot of scoring options on this team for fantasy. Um, we'll go to the defense. Um, they have a lot of good defensemen. Uh, I'm just going to talk about Kale McCarr because Kale McCarr should be one of the top five defensemen taken in fantasy. Uh, he'll play on the top power play. He'll score uh, goals uh, assists he'll get everything uh, he was the rookie of the year in the league last year and he's even expected to take a further step forward this season um i mean guys like ryan graves uh, sam gerard uh devon taves and and others uh even bowen byram we'll talk about him in the world juniors uh, section those guys are expected to put up points for the avalanche but if you're talking about their best defenseman it's definitely kale mccart Sounds good. And uh, what do you think about the sleeper picks on this team? Uh, for the sleeper pick, there's actually a lot of sleeper picks on this team. There's a lot of good guys you could take flyers on. I went with Brandon Saad. They just acquired him this summer from the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, he could slide into one of the top two lines this year. Um, he's been one of the, 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 the fantasy producers that, you know, will cover a few different categories. And if he does get uh, exposure in the top six of this team, he'll definitely be putting up a lot of points for you. Uh, he'll have a good plus minus and so on. So Brandon Sod is definitely someone that you can take a flyer on in fantasy drafts. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think about the goalies on this team? Uh, in terms of the goalies for this team, uh, both Philip Grubauer and Pavel Francouz should be fantasy relevant. They'll probably be splitting starts. I say Grubauer will get uh, just a little, a, a few more starts than Francouz, but Grubauer also has proven he hasn't been healthy. Uh, both goalies weren't healthy last year, actually. So um, the playing time is probably going to be somewhere down the middle favoring Grubauer a little bit. So Grubauer should be taken close to the top 10 in goalies uh, for fantasy drafts. And then Francois maybe outside the top 20 somewhere. Um, he, they're definitely both going to have good stats playing for Colorado as Colorado is one of the best teams. Uh, they, they actually have a chance of winning this division. So they should have a good record this year. So both goalies should be fantasy relevant. Sounds good. And yeah, as you said, this is a, uh possibly a deep playoff run title contending team this year yeah there are a lot of people taking the avalanche to win the stanley cup i know they had some hiccups in their run last year which is why dallas was able to eliminate them on their way to the finals but yeah the avalanche look like they're going to take a step forward this season both in the regular season and in the playoffs all right so next we go to the los angeles kings and uh who do you think are some top players for this team? 
Yeah, the LA Kings, they're still uh, finishing their rebuild. Uh, they had uh, their two Stanley Cup championships in 2012 and 2014. And then most of that team got older. So they've been rebuilding. So they, they have a mix of veterans and young players on this team. We'll start with Anze Kopitar, their captain. Uh, he, he's been the mainstay offensive player for this team for a long time. And he I believe he'll continue to do that this season. He covers the majority of categories and um in terms of a team that might be really bad in terms of plus minus, his plus minus won't be as bad as most players as he's very good defensively. So he's definitely one of the safe options from the LA Kings for sure. And I also went with Dustin Brown because Dustin Brown's one of those guys that he's usually top five in the league and hits every year. Um, and he's, he's on the power play. Um, he'll score some goals. He, his offensive output is not where it used to be, but he's definitely someone that's still valuable in fantasy. And then in terms of their defense, uh, Drew Doughty is still the guy. Um, he's just, uh, entering his thirties. So he still really, um, has a lot ahead of him. And, uh, people say he's faded a little bit uh, as a defenseman, but I think that he can still be an effective defenseman and he'll definitely put up points for you in fantasy this season. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think about the sleeper players on this team? Yeah, there's a lot of players you can go with. Um, LA has a lot of young talent. Um, in terms of talking about someone that not everyone's talking about, I'm going to talk about Gabriel Velarde. And um, he, he actually jumped into their lineup late last year as a rookie, but he missed a lot of time due to injury. So he's technically still a rookie this year. He didn't play the minimum number or, or the the maximum number of games before you're technically a rookie so um he'll be entering this season as a rookie and he should have a roster spot this season he should chip in uh, offensively for this team um he's seen as one of the players coming in that's definitely going to be a big part of the future core for this team so if, if you have a late round pick and you see uh Gabe Velarde there in the draft yeah you should go ahead and take a flyer on him he could end up being one of the better rookies this season Sounds good. And uh, what do you think about the goalie situation on this team? Uh, the goalie situation on this team is very interesting. Uh, Jonathan Quick's been the goalie here in LA for a long time. Uh, he backed them to two Stanley Cups. But yeah, he's definitely on uh, the older side. So he definitely won't be as effective as he was before, especially on this rebuilding team. Uh, backup Cal Peterson is looking to get more starts this year. I figure that these two goalies will split starts. Um, I don't know how valuable they're going to be for fantasy just because I don't know how much LA is going to win this season. So if you draft either of them, I'd suggest drafting quick first. Um, Peterson might be relevant later in the year if he gets more starts, but if you draft quick or Peterson, just temper your expectation for them, especially in terms of uh, goals against average and safe percentage, as uh, they, they might be allowing a lot of goals if this team isn't sound defensively. So I think there are better goalies out there, but if you're in a deep league, uh, I would take a flyer on one of these two goalies and just see how they perform over the season. Sounds good. So the Kings seem more of a, I guess, a deep league team in terms of fantasy. Yeah, I think that they have a lot of guys that could really break out. We just don't know which guys are going to break out. So it's kind of just playing off of which guys are safe, you know, which guys you can sort of get value out of. And then we'll, we'll see as the season goes along for them. Sounds good. And now we'll go to the Minnesota Wild. And uh, who are some top players for this team? 
Yeah, let's talk about the Minnesota Wild and their top players. We'll start with Kevin Fiala. They acquired him in a trade last year from the Nashville Predators, and he just had a breakout. Uh, he was, uh, I'd say he was in the top 10 or 15 scorers in the, the last portion of, of the season. Like, he just went on a tear. And then even in the playing round against Vancouver, he was clearly the best player for Minnesota offensively. He just really has an amazing shot. He's an amazing talent. He'll definitely be scoring goals. He'll be playing whichever line he's playing on will be the top line for this team. And he's just going to be putting up points um, for this team because someone needs to score goals for Minnesota. They're sort of in a transition period right now for their team. And he seems to be that guy. Also, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, uh, he's uh, one of the top rookies coming in. Uh, he's projected to be one of the finalists for the rookie of the year this year. So um, he's going, I'd say, in the middle of drafts, maybe the eighth or ninth round. I've seen Kaprizov getting drafted. He's definitely a guy to be looking at if you're looking to add some rookies on your team that are going to be projected to score a lot of points. Kaprizov is one of those guys. Also forward Zach Parise, um, he definitely uh, chips in in a few different categories. Uh, he'll be on the power play. He'll get you hits, a lot of shots. He'll, he'll get some goals. He'll get some points. Uh, Parise's just had trouble staying healthy, but when he is healthy, he's an effective fantasy forward. Um, in terms of their defense, um, they, they have a few good defensemen. Uh, Ryan Suter has been a good fantasy defenseman for a long time. He gets a lot of minutes, so he'll definitely be producing for fantasy and uh, the best offensive defenseman I think they have is Matt Dumba. He usually plays on the top power play and he's generated a lot of uh, scoring opportunities uh, in terms of defensemen. He gets a lot of shots. He definitely hits. He definitely does a lot of the things that contribute to fantasy points. And then uh, new captain uh, Jared Spurgeon. Um, he definitely has been fantasy relevant in recent years. Um, he definitely puts up, points for fantasy and his plus minus is usually really good so for uh some uh defensemen that you might want to take those are three guys from minnesota that should be fantasy relevant sounds good and uh what are some sleeper picks do you would have for this team uh the sleeper pick i took was marcus johansson they got him in a trade from Buffalo, I believe it was from Buffalo uh, this year. And yeah, he they wanted to convert him to center, but it looks like he's uh, playing better on the wing. So they're going to keep him there. They have high expectations for him, which means that the coaches want to give him an opportunity to play. So you should see him on one of the top two lines. And if he is playing with guys like Fiala and Kaprizov, uh, one or the other, he's definitely going to get points. He's going to get prime offensive chances with these guys. So he should be able to put up good points for you in fantasy as a sleeper sounds good and uh what do you think about the goalies on this team uh for the goalies on this team uh, alex daylock was placed on ir uh, indefinitely so we don't know when he's going to come back so newly acquired cam talbot should be the starting goalie for this team and he should see uh, most of the starts um as of right now, unless another rookie comes up and plays, uh, this should be Cam Talbot's net. And he 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 was a decent goalie last year for fantasy. Uh, he was owned quite a bit when he was in Calgary. So uh, he can put up decent stats uh, for you. Um, he's definitely not a top goalie for a fantasy team, but maybe a second or third goalie is recommended for Cam Talbot uh, when you're drafting goalies. Sounds good. So it seems like uh, Minnesota is pretty solid this year. 
Um, yeah, I think they're they're solid defensively for sure. Uh, the offense leaves more to be desired, but we'll see which uh, guys break out this year on offense for Minnesota. Sounds good. And now we go to the uh, San Jose Sharks. And uh, who do you think is a top player for this team? Um, yeah, they have four forwards, I think, that uh, are, should be fantasy relevant and should be consistent for fantasy um evander kane is one of the best category covers in fantasy uh he's been one of the top uh, hit getters uh most years he takes a lot of shots he usually scores quite a bit of goals he will definitely be close to 20 goals this year if not actually get 20 goals um their san jose captain logan couture is definitely another player he's usually their top point producer uh from season to season and he'll definitely be um, on the top power play and playing top minutes as the top center for this team. Um, Thomas Hurdle is one of the best offensive talents that the Sharks have. Uh, he definitely uh, produces at a good level when he is healthy. So it's important that he does stay healthy this season. That's one thing he struggled with. And then Timo Meyer is definitely one of the uh, goal scorers that's uh, blooming on this team. And I believe Timo Meyer will be playing with Logan Couture most of the time. So he should have good opportunities to score points for this team. Um, in terms of defense, they have two of the better offensive defensemen in fantasy, uh, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. Um, Burns kind of had a down year last year. Um, I expect him to rebound and um, put up similar uh, maybe not close to, but hopefully uh, a little bit better than last season and hopefully closer to what he put up when he won uh, the Norris Trophy for Defenseman of the Year a couple years back. And then Eric Carlson, um, since joining the Sharks, um, he's battled through injuries, um, different other things. Um, so he's definitely one of those bounce back candidates on defense. Um if he can get back to the level where he was playing before, uh, he'd, he'd definitely be like a top five defenseman in fantasy. So both of these defensemen should be taken within the top 10 or 15 defensemen in fantasy because they're definitely two of the better offensive defensemen in the league. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think of the sleeper picks on this team? Uh, it was tough for me to actually find a sleeper pick on this team. Someone I thought that could you know, have late round value in fantasy, but I, I did go with Ryan Donato and uh, they acquired him from Minnesota. Um, he wasn't getting top end minutes with the wild, but um, if he can slide into a top six role and maybe play with someone like Thomas Hurdle, maybe even play with Logan Couture, uh, he could definitely chip in some points. Uh, I think he had like, what was it? Almost 15 goals playing like third or fourth line minutes. So he does have potential. And I think that if he realizes his potential in San Jose, he can definitely be a decent fantasy player this year. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think about the goalie situation on this team? Uh, in terms of the goalie situation, uh, Devin Dubnik just came in from Minnesota uh, to join Martin Jones as the two goalies for this team. Uh, a lot of people are saying Devin Dubnik is going to be the starter for this team, but I actually think it's going to be more of a split in terms of starts because Jones was the starter last year and they did say that they expect Jones to have a bounce back here this year. So I think that these two goalies will split starts in terms of whether you should own them in fantasy or not. I'd actually wait until the season starts before you pick up any of these goalies. Uh, just because we don't know how San Jose is going to play. If they play as bad as they did last season, none of these goalies are going to be fantasy relevant. But if San Jose get up, gets off to a good start, 
then you'll kind of tell which goalie is playing better. And then that's the goalie that you can pick up as maybe your third goalie for fantasy. So it seems for San Jose, it's like a wait and see kind of team. Yeah, they're kind of a team that should bounce back and be better than last season because they did deal with a lot of injuries, but we still got to wait it out and see. Sounds good. And now we'll go to the St. Louis Blues and uh, who are some top players for this team? Uh, yeah, looking at the St. Louis Blues, uh, some of their top forwards, uh, Ryan O'Reilly is one of the best category covers in fantasy. Um, he'll cover goals, assists. He'll be on the top power play. He'll have a good plus minus shots, hits. Uh, you know, the Ryan O'Reilly's that dude for the St. Louis Blues. Um, also, Braden Shen is one of the best scorers on that team uh, with Vladimir Tarasenko um, possibly not playing this season. Uh, Braden Shen's going to be uh, called upon to score a lot of goals for this team. So he's definitely someone that's very valuable for fantasy as well as forward David Perron. Perron's been one of the better goal scorers for St. Louis over his recent tenure there. Um, he's usually on the top power play, uh, taking shots uh, from the, the left side. And he's definitely uh, one of the better uh, fantasy players in terms of uh, just pure points. And then um, recently signed Mike Hoffman should slide in on the right side of the top power play. Uh, he's one of the best um, one-time shooters in the league. Um, he'll score a lot of goals in fantasy. Um, defensively, he's not as good. His plus minus might hurt you. But other than that, shots, he's usually right up there close to the top 10 of the league in, in shots. And yeah, just with St. Louis needing that like pure goal score with Tarasenko being out, I feel like Hoffman could be the, the guy that slides into that role. And then also forward Jaden Schwartz. Um, he, he's more of an underrated guy, but I, I feel like he's still one of their top scorers. So I'll include him here. Yeah, Schwartz is definitely a guy that's been very valuable in fantasy in the past. I've owned him, I've owned him a lot of years, and I can definitely say that he's one of the better fantasy players that I've had. Um, looking at defense, uh, recently acquired Tory Krug should be the top defenseman for this team. He'll be scoring lots of points, uh, both at even strength and on the power play. Uh, his plus minus, um, it hasn't been great in certain years, but being on St. Louis, it should be a little bit better. So you might not get hurt by his plus minus this year. And definitely he's one of the defensemen that takes a lot of shots. And then another defenseman is Colton Pareko, who also should step up in his role with uh, Captain Alex Petrangelo being gone from the St. Louis Blues. Um, Pareko should step into a larger role with this team and definitely produce offensively. Sounds good. And uh, who do you have as a sleeper pick for this team? Uh, for sleeper pick, I went with Robert Thomas. Uh, I know a lot of people have been saying that he's been a sleeper. I actually think that he is definitely a sleeper for this team. Uh, he just seems to have more to give in terms of his offense. Uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, could push his way into a top six forward role for this team. And he could just really break out as a player. Uh, I could see him potentially even, you know, getting top end power play minutes, you know? So uh, I think that uh, maybe, you know, he, he might be there. I think he's been going, you know, just before the 200 mark in, in fantasy drafts. So I think that you, if you can get him there, like maybe in the 180s, 190s, he's a good pickup to add, you know, to the end of your bench or whatever, and he should produce for you in fantasy. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think about the goalies on this team? Uh, for, in terms of the goalies of this team, I think Jordan Bennington should be the guy for them this year. 
Uh, he did have a, a rough end to the season last year, but uh, I feel like that, you know, him being on a solid team like St. Louis, he should be one of the better fantasy goalies. He's been going, I, I believe, either in the top 10 or top 15 because of the amount of games he's going to start because uh, they don't really have a, a solid, solid backup because they traded Jake Gallen last offseason. So I think Jordan Bennington will definitely get the bulk of the starts and he'll definitely be able to get a lot of wins and should have good averages in fantasy. Sounds good. And now we go to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, what do you think about the top players for this team? Yeah, Vegas should be one of the, the best teams in this division. Um, I know when I was doing predictions earlier, I had them penciled in as first place in this division. And rightfully so, this team is uh, talented. Um, forwards Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone are their two top scorers. Um, they're always putting up points whether it's uh, goals at even strength, scoring on the power play, usually have good plus minuses. They take lots of shots. They're both very valuable forwards. Um, and then uh, forwards Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith usually play together on the same line as well. And they just um, produce points, not at the level of Pacioretty and Stone, but they can definitely produce for you in fantasy and then center William Carlson I know he's not at the level he was in his first season with Vegas where he had a, a huge breakout season for goals but he's still a solid fantasy player that can chip in in a few different categories for you in fantasy um, in terms of the defense for this team uh, definitely Alex Petrangelo coming from St. Louis to join Vegas has really made this team stronger defensively and I believe Petrangelo will be the top defenseman for this team he'll probably play on the either the top power play or the second power play and he just has a good plus minus he gets lots of hits and he'll he'll put up a good amount of points in fantasy as well as defenseman Shea Theodore uh, Theodore had a breakout last year in the playoffs where he actually led Vegas in scoring I believe so he's really talented offensively and he can definitely um, become a top 10 fantasy defenseman this season Sounds good. And uh, who do you have of a, as a sleeper pick for this team? Uh, there's a few guys I could have mentioned. I just went with Alex Tuck. I know he's dealt with injuries uh, a few years, but he's definitely that guy that if he stays healthy, he can score a lot of goals. He gets a lot of hits. He's just, he, he's, he's a player that can definitely contribute in different parts of fantasy. I don't know what his power play role is going to be. He should get some power play time. So I think he will be fantasy relevant. He's definitely one of those guys that's a, that's maybe a late round sleeper, like maybe second last or last round that you can just draft and be like, oh, he's on a good team. So he's not going to hurt my plus minus. And you know, if he's healthy, he'll score some goals. So he's that kind of player that you can take a flyer on for sure. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think about the goalie situation? Um, the goalie situation for this team is interesting. You have Robin Lehner who defined himself as the starting goalie for this team last year in the playoffs. But then you also have Marc-Andre Fleury, who was the starting goalie for them last season. So they both should be splitting starts this season. Laner might be getting the slight edge in terms of starts, but I believe they'll both be fantasy relevant with how good Vegas's defense is. They should both should put up excellent stats. I know their win totals might not reach some goalies from other teams as those goalies will be starting most of the games. But in terms of averages and uh, shutouts, uh, they'll definitely have uh, a good amount for you in fantasy. So I'd say Laner's probably like a top five, top six goalie to be drafted. And then Flurry might be in like the top 15, top 20 range in terms of goalies, but they both should be owned in fantasy for sure. 
it's kind of crazy how Vegas is like the newest team and they're an expansion team and they're already this successful. Yeah, it's just they, they've done a good job in terms of picking their players from the expansion draft as well as, you know, making trades and just uh, signing players in, in the offseason. They've kind of developed this good team. I know they've they've mortgaged some of their future to be successful now. Um, but yeah, they, they seem like definitely uh, another pick that of a team that could win the Stanley Cup this coming season. Sounds good. And now we'll go to the world juniors and uh what did you think uh yeah uh, i was cheering for canada there in the finals uh, it was kind of disappointing that they didn't score anything um congrats to the americans uh on the victory but i just want you to know that hockey still canada's sport <laughs> we might have to pick another sport we have, might have to pick cricket or something yeah, well, we've been losing uh, most sports battles to the Americans. Uh, it's tough uh, losing in hockey as well. Hopefully, we'll get them next year. Hopefully. At least it's, we don't have to wait four years like the Olympics. Yeah, well, the Olympics is coming up. So if they let NHL players go, I think Canada will definitely have a good chance of getting gold. That would be pretty stacked, like an all-star team as an Olympic team. Yeah, for sure. You got guys like Big David, Crosby, and McKinnon on one line. That's pretty unstoppable. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of World Cup, um, we'll start, I guess, with uh, Tomasino. And uh, what do you think about his uh, fantasy relevance? Okay. So, uh, looking at some of these players uh, that came out of the World Juniors that could potentially uh, make their NHL squads this season and might have some fantasy value. Yeah. Like you mentioned, uh, Philip Tomasino, um, he has been um, playing well uh, in terms of. Uh, being in uh, Nashville's uh, training camp. And I think that he actually can make their team. Uh, he was a solid player for Canada this year in the world juniors and definitely Nashville's looking for that spark offensively. And Tomasino could be that guy that could slide in and, you know, maybe get a role in their lineup this coming season. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think of Thomas Harley? Yeah, Thomas Harley uh, was a solid defenseman for Canada in the World Juniors. Um, Dallas is sort of looking for that bottom pair defenseman to, you know, bring in and, and to play. And I think Thomas Harley can actually be that guy this season. I know some people are projecting him to actually play for the Stars this season. And I think that if he does play, he might actually have some fantasy value depending on how much they play him. So we'll see how that goes. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think of Marco Rossi? Yeah, Marco Rossi was interesting. Uh, Minnesota wanted to bring him into their camp, but he really wanted to play for the Austrian team, uh, an Austrian team that's very uh, void of a lot of talent. So he, in, in four games that he played for them, he didn't have any points. And he also got injured as well. So I know it's going to be tough for him to start the season with Minnesota because of his injury, but I think when he gets healthy, he should be able to jump in and score for them. And also being a center, uh, I know a lot of Minnesota fans are excited about there being a potential line of uh, Rossi, Kaprizov, and Fiala. Um, they're sort of saying that that's the future for Minnesota. So if he does end up playing with them, I know fans are going to be really be asking for those three players to be put on the same line. It's been kind of unfortunate for Rossi for his uh, season situation with the injury, but hopefully he'll be able to come back soon. Yeah, for sure. And um, the next player I have is uh, Vili Heinola. 
um, defenseman for Finland. He really looked solid this year in the World Juniors, and he's also looked really good in the Winnipeg Jets camp. Uh, the Jets have sort of been uh, void of a lot of uh, good defensemen. So uh, Hanola being one of their top defensive prospects, if he can come in and play a role for them this season, it could really help put them over the edge and potentially get a playoff spot this season. Wow. So the Jets are going to be even deeper now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're already deep at forward. It's, defense has just been their main issue. And if they can kind of fix that, I mean, they're a solid team. They're definitely a team that, people should be looking out for this season. Speaking of depth, uh, what do you think of Bowen Byram? Yeah, I actually mentioned Bowen Byram earlier when I was talking about the Avalanche defensemen. They have so many good defensemen. They have McCarr, Graves, uh, Girardi, and uh, Devon Taves. And adding Bowen Byram to that list of amazing young defensemen, like this Avalanche team has just endless amount of top end defensive prospects coming in um byram was one of the top defensemen for canada i believe he was canada's uh top scorer on defense if i'm not mistaken and he is just looking like an amazing prospect and if he does make this avalanche team this season there is a chance that he will be fantasy relevant as they could even put him on the second power play unit so look out for bowen byram if he makes the team sounds good and uh what do you think of byfield um, actually, I'm going to take a look at four and five on my list of Alex Turcott and Quinton Byfield, uh, both centers for the LA Kings. Byfield, of course, playing on Team Canada and Turcott playing on Team USA. Uh, both of them had amazing World Junior tournaments. I know Byfield had that six point game. And then Turcott had a really good um, game, both in the semifinals and in the finals against Canada. So I think that I, I know Turcott has an injury right now, but uh, between the two of them, they'll be fighting for probably that third line center spot. I think uh, Byfield does have the edge right now, but um, in, in terms of which player is more developed, I think Turcotte is more developed right now. They're just going to give him time because of the injury. So I think you can expect uh, Byfield to make the NHL first. But if Turcotte also makes it, I expect both of them to, you know, rise up in the rankings and potentially be good fantasy players for the Kings down the road. So it seems like the Kings are going to improve a lot this season if they can get both players. Yeah, I think so. One will definitely be in the lineup. Um, but, you know, if both of them get in, that would be amazing. And, uh, yeah, speaking of uh, Team Canada, um, Dylan Cousins was the best player for Canada in this tournament. Uh, he put up the second most points in the tournament. Uh, he really scored a lot of key points for Canada in the world juniors. And he's looking to make the Buffalo Sabres roster this season. I, I believe he can do it. I believe he has the talent to do it. I believe Buffalo could use a talented player like Dylan Cousins. So um, if he does make the team, expect him to put up some points and he should be relevant for fantasy. Sounds good. And he's not too far from the border. So any Canadians who live in the U.S. can go see him. Yeah, when the border opens. Hopefully the border will open soon. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah, speaking of uh, Canadians, um, 
Ottawa Senators fans should be really excited about Tim Stutzel. Um, he looked amazing for the German team, a German team that didn't have a lot of talent. But Stutzel was one of the top end talented players in this tournament. I've ranked him at number two in terms of fantasy relevant players from the world juniors because I believe um, he's just arrived at the Ottawa camp and he's ready to go. He's ready to jump into a top six role for this team. Uh, as a rookie, he could actually be the leading scorer for this team right out of the gate. That's how talented he is. He was the third overall pick in the 2020 draft by Ottawa. And yeah, his ceiling, um, yeah, like it, it's just endless. Uh, he, he can be a, a top end player uh, for the Ottawa Senators. So expect him to have some fantasy value moving forward. He sounds like he could be, he has like all-star potential pretty much. Yeah, I mean, when you take a player in the the top three in the NHL draft, I mean, you got to expect him to be a high-end talent. So I think Tim Stutzel is definitely that guy. Sounds good. And uh, what do you think of Zagras? Yeah, Trevor Zagras was the MVP of the World Juniors uh, for the Americans, and he... He just looked amazing. Um, Anaheim has a special prospect in Zagris. And yeah, I mentioned him earlier in the sleepers for the Anaheim Ducks. He's definitely should be a, a must own for fantasy. He's definitely a late round pick. I've seen even people reaching for him, you know, in rounds nine or 10, because they really believe that he's going to get an opportunity with the Anaheim Ducks. So if he's available in your league, go ahead and pick him up if you need another center. And uh, he should be the most fantasy relevant player. Uh, from these guys uh, in the world juniors. And I think he'll definitely be a, a good producer in fantasy. Sounds good. So if you really enjoyed watching the world juniors, I think you're going to really enjoy the NHL season this year. Yeah, there's a lot of good young talent coming in this year. Like we didn't even mention young players like Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, uh, he didn't participate in the world juniors, but he's definitely... Uh, being the first overall pick from this past year's draft. He's definitely a, a player to watch. Uh, we talked about Kaprizov earlier. Uh, there, there's many other young stars uh, coming into the league this season. They'll be exciting to watch. Sounds good. And speaking of this NHL season, uh, we'll talk a little bit about some games that we're looking forward to. And uh, what do you have for Thursday? Um, yeah, for Thursday, uh, well, I'll just go through and mention one uh, interesting game I have for each division, uh, who, uh, you know, uh, which games I might be interested in tuning into um, in terms of the matchup. Um, I know opening night, everyone's interested, so I'm not going to mention any matchups from opening night. I'll look a little later in the week. Yeah, we'll start with Thursday. Um, Calgary is going to be at Winnipeg, and I think that that's an interesting matchup because these two teams faced in the, the play-in round last year for the playoffs. And the, the Jets really, um, they, they got beaten and they got beaten because uh, two of their top stars, Mark Shifley and Patrick Liney, got hurt um, in the first game of the series. And then they just, they, they didn't look the same offensively. And they, they just really got dominated by Calgary. But now that uh, this Winnipeg team is healthy. I want to see how these two teams match up as this going to, this is going to be a very exciting game to watch for sure. It's the uh, revenge game pretty much. Yeah. I think that Winnipeg definitely wants to get revenge for what happened in the play in round. Um, yeah. Moving to Friday um, from the West division, um, St. Louis is uh, playing uh, in Colorado against the avalanche and these two teams, uh, they were in the old uh, central division 
And yeah, they're, they're rivals. Uh, they're both excellent teams. This is going to be a great game to watch. If you want to see a game that might potentially have some high scoring, this might be a game that, that could be high scoring. It'll definitely be exciting for sure. That seems really interesting to tune in, a, a rivalry game. Yeah, for sure. Um, another rivalry that's going to be happening uh, this weekend is going to be Crosby against Ovechkin. Uh, when um, Pittsburgh uh, faces Washington, the games will take place in Pittsburgh. It's actually two games. Uh, both Saturday and Tuesday are in Pittsburgh. So you'll get to see Crosby against Ovechkin twice, both Sunday and Tuesday. So definitely that's always a game to to tune into as uh, those two teams, uh, their, their rivals, um, Crosby and Ovechkin have been tied to each other since they were rookies. Uh, they've always been compared to each other in terms of who's the better player. And it's always exciting to watch when these two players go head to head. So it's like a classic matchup and we get to see it twice. Yeah, I know twice in one week. That's a first. And speaking of exciting matchups, we have uh, NHL Stanley Cup Part 2. So what do you think of that? Yeah, um, it, originally the first uh, Stanley Cup final rematch was supposed to happen on Sunday, but because of the Dallas COVID situation, that game got postponed. But Dallas sh is going to be playing uh, the Lightning in Tampa Bay on Tuesday as well. So uh, the Sunday game being postponed, you will get to see those two teams face on Tuesday. Um that that's uh, pending any uh, postponement from that game as well. Hopefully that game doesn't get postponed because that'd be an amazing game to watch uh, these two teams face again. Uh, the Stanley Cup final was a great one to watch this year and hopefully we'll get to see some great action from the rematch. Sounds good. And that about recaps the Fantasy Fanatics podcast hockey segment for this week. There's going to be a lot of exciting games to watch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a lot of exciting games to watch, both on opening night and later in the week. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, the hockey pool, uh, by the time this episode is up, will be closed. So uh, we'll be removing the link from the description. Um, those that have entered the hockey pool, um, let's hope for a great season and we'll see who comes out on top. All right, welcome to the Fantasy Fanatics uh, Injury Report. Uh, before we get started, I just want to make a correction. We are removing the joining link for the hockey pool from the description, but we'll be uh, replacing it with a link to the standings for the hockey pool. So uh, you can check out uh, where each team is in the standings and who's going to be who's leading the hockey pool at any given time. Um, We'll hop into the injury report now. I'm joined once again by Sheridan College AT student, Victoria Kumar. Welcome. Hi. Uh, yeah, let's uh, hop into the NFL injuries. Uh, it's the divisional playoffs this weekend, and let's mm -hmm. talk about some injuries. We'll start with uh, Sammy Watkins. Yeah, so Sammy Watkins was rested in week 17 against the Chargers, and then it, due to that calf injury that he's been having, uh, he's now had two weeks of rest as obviously the Chiefs had a bye week last week. What was very interesting, however, is when the media came to watch the portion of Wednesday's practice, um, they didn't see him. He wasn't present at all. Um, he wasn't even present for the walkthrough. Um, so that's obviously not good because maybe he won't play. We're just going to have to, of course, watch him over the next few days, see if any reports come out if he's practicing. Um, and then if he practices, then he will play. All right. Um, what about Clyde Edwards-Solaire? 
Yeah, so Clyde Edwards Hilaire on Wednesday, he returned to practice in a limited capacity with both a, he's been struggling with both a hip and ankle injury. This looks good and indicates that he'll probably play this weekend as like I said, it's the second round of the playoffs. So uh, teams are going to be putting in their best players. Um, what about Bills receivers Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley? Yeah, so starting with Stephon Diggs, I reported last week that he was labeled with an oblique injury and uh, we didn't really uh, expect him to play. Uh, but then he played and he was still part of that injured reserve. Um, this is not concerning to me now at all since now he's practicing again. Uh, he's still not practicing in full capacity, but he's still practicing. He played last week. He's going to play again this week. It's not He's not much of a concern uh, for anyone. Um, then Cole Bleasley. So Cole Bleasley was questionable due to an ankle injury. And in practices all throughout last week, they actually replaced him with a backup receiver, which made us believe, okay, it looks like he's not going to play. He's just kind of present for the practice. But then he ended up playing much to everybody's surprise. So again, this week, like Stefan Diggs, he was playing, having a limited practice. I don't think that means anything he's going to play when he played last week. Yeah, um, I saw the injury to Zach Moss on the weekend. Uh, could you explain whether he's going to play or not and what's going on with that injury? Yeah, so he went down um, against the Colts with what looked to be what they said in the reports, a left ankle injury. I watched the footage. I got to see everything and I was watching it and it could be one of three things. So they uh, reported it as an ankle injury. So it first of all, looked like he went down with an, what we call an eversion ankle sprain. So that's where most ankle sprains are inversion. That's kind of where you roll your foot inwards. Um, and that's what we commonly see, but this one, it looked like he was kind of rolling it outwards. Um, so that's where you injure kind of the inside ligaments called your deltoid ligaments on the inside of your foot. So that's one thing that it could have been. It also could be a high ankle sprain because the way that he came down, when you come in that inversion uh, way, you also split the tibia and fibula bones. And in between that is the interosseous membrane, which is what a high ankle sprain is when you injure that interosseous membrane. So the way that he came down with that uh, eversion ankle sprain could be also a high ankle sprain. And if it is definitely going to be putting him out. Um, and another thing, when I looked at the footage, it looked like it might've been also some kind of knee MCL injury because when he came down, the Colts player trapped his lower leg underneath his body kind of came down on his lower leg and his entire upper body kind of pivoted around his knee. And he kind of went in the direction outside of his knee. So the inside of his knee got stretched out. So he could have also partially tore his MCL. Um, it looks like a pretty severe injury if it's any one of the three. Um, so I don't know if we're going to see him out for the rest of the playoffs. Um, I think he's going to be ruled out and not play at all, but he should be good for next season as these three injuries will be easily re rehabable by next season. Um, what about Ronald Jones? I know he was active last week, but he didn't play any snaps. What's going on with him? So Ronald Jones is dealing with some kind of quad information inflammation. So this could be due to either a quad contusion or a quad strain. So quad contusion being a direct hit he got to his quad or strain being that he pulled it. And so basically quad inflammation, as most people know, it's like just swelling, major swelling that he's going through and probably weakness. Um, he was not president in Wednesday's practice at all. This is obviously not a good sign as he didn't actually take any snaps last week, even though he was considered active. Um, so what I would say with that is even if he's considered active, don't count on him playing because he obviously uh, didn't play last week, uh, but he probably will be on the bench again. Um, what about Green Bay's receiver, Alan Lazard? 
Yeah. So Alan Lazard has suffered two injuries this season. So first he had like a core muscle injury when he got surgery for, so that could have either been, uh, they didn't really go into detail, but he could have had like maybe a second degree strain where he had a lot of tearing and they had to repair it or could have been, uh, something like a, uh, sports hernia. So where you get a tear at the attachment of the muscle on the pubic bone, either way, he's he came back from that core muscle injury in December's and he got his surgery in October so he only had two months of recovery and that's not a lot of time for a core muscle recovery normally you're seeing more four months recovery to get a full and complete recovery um and so he was probably not 100% on that and then he got a wrist injury um he did play last week that's a good sign He's probably going to play again this week, but let's just hope obviously for his health that he continues to rehab it over the, the summer. Yeah. I mean, uh, week 17, I believe, because they were on a bye last week. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what about Jared Goff with his thumb issue? Okay. So Jared Goff, uh, they actually qu- labeled him as questionable uh, because, you know, obviously he's going through that thumb injury. He has a thumb fracture. He did play last week. Um and then they were considering maybe this week we should put in a, the backup. And then during practice, the backup got a like kind of a neck injury. I think he pulled one of his neck muscles. So after that happened, in the game, something happened. Or in the something. Game. Yeah, I don't remember what exactly happened. Yeah. Maybe it was practice. Maybe it was the game. I can't remember. I but he took a well, hit in the game. Yeah. Um, well, what I'm saying I is, believe it, it was Jamal Adams. He came in on the pass rush and then he he hit the quarterback. There was like a stretcher or something. I can't remember what happened. But yeah. So yeah. the thing with him is obviously even if they were, they were taking a look at them. Well, they both have injuries. One of them's got to play a guy who's only made about, I think he only made about two starts versus a guy who's played for them all season and got them into the playoffs as Jared Goff has. You're obviously going to play Jared Goff over a backup QB. Yeah. Yeah, So Jared Goff's going to play like 100%. I don't even doubt it. Maybe they're going to have a third string QB come in and, you know, help them out a little bit, but he's going to play. Yeah. Um, what about uh, Daryl Henderson? So Daryl Henderson, as I said last week, there's not much of an update that's different. I just wanted to mention um, that he was just questionable last week and now he's not questionable anymore. He's completely ruled out. He will be out for the rest of the playoffs. That's just all I wanted to say regarding him. Um, and then one last NFL injury is Cooper Cup. Yeah. So Cooper Cup last week, he was on that COVID list. Yeah. And then he seems he's off it, but now he's struggling with a bursitis knee injury. So what bursitis really is, is if if it's on the knee, it's most likely his pre-patellar bursa, which is, uh, so I'm first going to explain what the bursa is. So bursas are present in the body to kind of help with, uh, stopping that friction between a tendon going over a bone so your quad tendon actually passes over your uh, kneecap and so a bursa is there to help prevent friction from happening and swelling so but what happens is sometimes the bursas themselves get inflamed and that's what's going on in his case so he probably has a really huge knee it's probably one knee the knee with the bursa that's inflamed is much bigger than the other one Um, and they can get inflamed by repetitive constant motion on it could be from a direct hit as well right to his kneecap he could have gotten an inflammation um mm-hmm. versus or bursitis is actually really painful so if he has a flare-up right before the game he's not going to play if he doesn't have a flare-up then he will that's kind of how it works it there it kind of comes and goes yeah. um so we may see him this week but we may not we yeah, really well, don't know the, until game time most yeah likely. i think the rams do have enough depth at receiver with guys like josh reynolds van yeah. jefferson and others to sort of cover Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's go transition over to the NBA. We'll yeah. start with an update on Darius Garland. 
Yeah. So he's going through a shoulder sprain injury. And like I mentioned last week, he will be out at least a week or so. So I wasn't surprised at all that he has not played since then. Um, he's not yet put on that injured reserve as he's not deemed a long-term injury. And I mentioned that last week that it's probably not going to be a long-term injury. He's probably going to be out a couple weeks. Um, so like I predicted last week, he's going to probably be either back this weekend or early next week. That's something I said. Um, yeah, uh, one injury that came out just after we uh, posted our injury report is that uh, Mark Kelly Fultz, uh, what, uh, what did he tear? Was it his ACL? Uh, yeah, so Mark Kelly Fultz tore his left ACL last week in a game against the Cavaliers. This was actually a non-contact injury as it occurred simply due to a foot plant and a quick change in direction. I actually watched the footage on it. So what he did is he was coming into the zone and he had he was going in for a layup, I think. And he did the first foot plant of the layup on his left foot. And as he began to change in direction on that planted foot, his femur kind of rotated, you know, how your knee does when you rotate around your knee. And his femur rotated internally and back. And then he kind of had a buckle and then he fell. So because of that, it was just an ACL tear right off there. He just made the quick turn and then boom, it snapped and he fell. So, um, was it a full tear? Um, I don't know if they even said if it was a full tear, but, but either way, it's enough, season. it's enough that he's going to need surgery. So, so it's yeah, either a second degree. So second degree tear is enough fibers that you need it to get repaired. And then a full tear would be, it's fully gone. But his season's done. Yeah. His season's definitely done. He's going to need surgery on it. Okay. Um, what about Joe Ingles? Yeah. So Joe Ingles, he's been in and out with an Achilles soreness since last week. He played on Sunday and then he sat out on Tuesday's game. He's been more day-to-day -day than anything. He may okay. play Friday uh, because he hasn't played for the last three games. And then if not, then we're going to probably see him Sunday against the Nuggets. He's the kind of person that's going to be, might be back and forth for a few games until he's better. So he'll have one game on, one game off, one game on, one game off. So we're just, we're going to have to see him, but then in a couple of weeks, he'll probably be fine and back to normal. Um, what about Wesley Matthews? Uh, yeah, so he also has some kind of Achilles uh, injury, but it looks like it's more of a strain. Um, after an MRI report came back, it just reported, I think, just swelling. Like, they didn't report anything new. Um, this is good news, as he has actually already previously pulled his Achilles back in 2015. He had to get it repaired. Um, and so, obviously, he didn't want to have to go through that long re uh, recovery again. Um, he's taken a couple games off, and they, are look, they look to uh, play him on Thursday uh, or on Friday. Uh, no, sorry. They're taking a look at him on Thursday, but then they hope to play on Friday, I think is their next game or Monday, if not. Um, and like Joe Ingles with uh, Wesley Matthews, it's not going to be a long recovery, just a few days to allow the swelling to reduce and allow that tissue healing to occur. Um, and uh, getting back to the Cleveland Cavaliers, they've had a lot of injuries. What about guys like Andre Drummond and Colin Sexton? Yeah, so Andre Drummond is currently suffering with a bruised uh, Achilles. We seem to have quite a few Achilles uh, this week. Uh, he did not play on Tuesday. Their next game is not until Friday. Um, since nothing new has been released, we could actually assume that he's working towards playing Friday. So we're just going to have to watch the reports on his injury uh, as it didn't really seem like something super severe. Uh, moving on to Colin Sexton, he's been out since last week with ankle soreness. On Tuesday, he underwent an MRI that showed nothing new, which is good news that it didn't show anything new than what they already thought. So it seems it's just a small ankle sprain. He didn't play Tuesday against the Jazz, but they the team expects him back this weekend or again early next week. Um, also, what's going on with Lonzo Ball? 
Yeah, so Lonzo Ball has been diagnosed with bilateral jumper's knee, which is basically knee tendonitis. Um, and so, like I mentioned, anything that ends with itis, tendonitis, uh, all that, that's all inflammation that's going on. Um, so this is where the patellar tendon, that's the one that passes over the kneecap, it got inflamed. Um, jumper's knee is very tricky because like I mentioned with inflammation, you can have flare-ups, right? So you can go one day where you're good and one day where you're not. That's kind of what I mentioned with bursitis, same thing. Um, but he's definitely doing treatment right now. So some things, if you don't have a lot of flare-ups, you can do treatment while playing. Um, I think he will take a few weeks rest though and then come back. So kind of what causes tendonitis is you, obviously it could be from, you know, a pull or that kind of thing where you kind of stress your tendon. But the most common cause of it is what we call a decrease or a less eccentric strength. So that's the strength that it takes to stop. So let's say you're running and you're going in and you make a quick stop and that's what eccentric strength is. It requires that to stop you. Um, so oftentimes when players have tendonitis, they need to build up that strength. So he's definitely working with the trainers to build that up. And if the tendonitis doesn't go down after a couple of months, they're probably going to then consider something like surgery. Most of the time though, you don't really need surgery, especially at a young age. All so right. uh, like, again, he's somebody we're going to have to see more information on. We're going to have to watch what comes out, but I expect he's going to be out for a couple of weeks at first. And then they'll give another report regarding how he's progressing. And he might be even able to play through some of the tendonitis. Um, what about the Pelicans other guard, Eric Bledsoe? Yeah, so he has an eye irritation. So he was ruled out of Wednesday's game over it. We don't exactly know what's wrong with his eye. It could be a number of things. He could obviously have something as bad as an eye infection, which is, well, he'll be out for probably two, three weeks if that's what's happening. Um, it could be like a seasonal irritation. Maybe he's got allergies to certain things during you know this time. Or it could be most likely what I think is it is, is a scratched cornea. So the cornea is that outer layer of your eye and he scratched it or someone scratched it during a game. Normally you're only out for a day or two with that or maybe max three days. So I think we should see him back by next game if that's what it is. Um, the Washington Wizards have also been dealing with a lot of injuries. Um, I know Thomas Bryant got injured. Russell Westbrook got injured. Uh, what's going on with them? Yeah, so Thomas Bryan went, initially went down with an inversion ankle sprain, but then after the MRI came out, they discovered he had it partially torn ACL. Um, and when you actually rewatch the footage, I got to watch it, you see him come down with that inversion ankle sprain. You obviously clearly see that. But then another thing you see is his knee kind of goes into a hyperextension where his femur kind of moves back. So that's the top bone moves back on the bottom bone. And that's where you can get an ACL tear. So most likely when he came down on that inversion ankle, uh, he kind of came down and he landed with that inverted angle, but also his knee kind of buckled you got to see in the footage. So he probably got both an ACL tear and an inversion ankle sprain with that. So he's going to be out for the rest of the season. He's going to be doing some surgery and that kind of thing. Um, and then Westbrook. Yeah, Westbrook, Westbrook. yeah. So Westbrook was originally slated to only miss one week uh, with a quad injury, but now it looks like he's going to be out three to four weeks. This is most likely then going to be a second degree quad strain where maybe originally they thought it was a first strain. So either he got an MRI that showed that he got a second degree, or maybe he noticed after a few days that he was very weak, maybe a lot of bruising and swelling and pain showed up uh, indicating a second degree strain. Um, what about Evan Fournier? Yeah, so Evan Fournier is currently out with back spasms and he's been out for the last six days. 
back spasms can be a number of different things. So it can obviously be something as bad as maybe a disc irritation or like a uh, ruptured spinal disc. Um, or it could be something as simple as maybe he's got bad posture and now it's affecting him and causing spasming. Or it could be he pulled a back muscle, which is most likely what it is. So he either pulled one of his lat muscles or his trap muscles, maybe erector spinae. Um, so he's probably working with the trainers on strengthening these. We're going to have to watch him over the next few days. It depends on the degree of strain if it is a back muscle. Um, and hopefully we'll see him in the next week or so. Um, just go over, uh, there's about two or three more injuries. Just quickly cover them in the NBA. Yeah, so I'm going to go with, start off with Bogdan Bogdanovich. So he went down against the Hornets with an avulsion fracture of his right knee. Um, he's going to be out for a minimum of four to six weeks with this because an avulsion fracture is what it sounds like a fracture but what it is is it's kind of a break off of the bone so it's where a tendon or a ligament attaches to the bone and you kind of get a break off of it this commonly happens in the foot but this one happened in the knee so most likely it's what we call a sigond fracture so that's where the the lateral part of your knee, the outside of your knee, there's a part where the capsule attaches the capsule ligaments. Probably he stressed his knee and the ligament pulled on it and it broke off a piece of the outer part of his bone. Um, and often this is highly associated with ACL injury. So he's really got to rehab this in, so that he can prevent an ACL injury from happening, which will put him out for even longer. So put him on your IR for now. He's going to be out for the next four to six weeks at least. Um, then moving on to Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy Lamb had a left uh, tor knee torn ACL. He's been recovering from since last year. So that's what it, when it happened, I think it was last summer. He's now back to full practices with the team. So he should be playing hopefully by next week. Um, he just needs to be cleared by the docs uh, in order to play. All right. Um, moving on uh, to the NHL injuries. Um, actually, before we move on to the NHL injuries, I did want to ask you, uh, there's some COVID situations going on in the NBA. Could you just list the teams and then just maybe list the date that uh, they'll be coming back? Um, so, yeah, the thing with COVID in the NBA that's been really concerning, I'm just going to talk about quickly first before we go through the teams, is they require a long time of quarantine. So if you get it, you have to quarantine for 10 days minimum. If you're in close contact, that's seven days minimum. So they have these really long timelines. And so that's what's really affecting a lot of teams and getting a lot of postponed games. So Dallas Mavericks have about four confirmed cases. We don't really know which ones are actually positive, uh, but they did have to postpone uh, they did have to postpone Monday's game, but they didn't have to postpone Wednesday. So it looks like they're moving forward from out of that COVID situation. They had players such as Josh Richardson out, which is a huge part of their team. Uh, moving on to Boston Celtics, they currently have more than nine players inactive. Uh, they actually came short on Tuesday and Wednesday. Those games had to have been postponed because they didn't have enough players in their lineup. Um, and then actually with them, Jason Tatum and Robert Williams were the two players that came out positive, causing players like Tristan Thompson, Jalen Brown uh, to go into uh, quarantine with them. Um, they're scheduled to play the Magic on Friday. We're going to have to see if that gets canceled, if we can get some recoveries in the next few days. But for now, it looks like it's slated to go. Uh, moving on to Miami Heat, they have about eight players who are out due to these, again, health and safety protocols or COVID-19. These are like Jim Bu Jimmy Butler and uh, Avery Bradley and so on. And the breakout actually started with Avery Bradley. He got COVID-19. 
Um, they did play the 76ers on Tuesday. So again, that's a good sign that they have enough players back to yeah, begin their players, games. Think, yeah. yeah, so you need that minimum amount of players or else they're going to cancel the game. The 76ers themselves had a little bit of a breakout. They have five players out due to COVID, such as Seth Curry, who got it, and Tobias Harris. Um, and so they're just kind of quarantining right now, but they have enough players to continue with their games. Yeah, I'm just going to move on to Eric Pascal from the Warriors. He had a false positive, so he's good. He's back. Okay. Um, right. Michael Porter Jr., he'd been out for a while through contact tracing, and then he actually got COVID, maybe from the contact. Um, so he's out for now, and we're just going to have to see if he tests negative in the next week or so. Uh, Lori Markinen, he's now been cleared of COVID, and he was practicing with the team, so we're going to see him back this Friday. Okay, uh, with the NHL, I believe most of the injuries as of right now are day-to-day -day because teams are pretty much getting ready to start yep. the season. So we'll just move straight through to the COVID news. Um, mm -hmm. Just talk about maybe a couple players that have gotten COVID or maybe uh, which teams are dealing with their COVID situations. Yeah, so I'm just going to mention Mika Zabinajad first. So he was out last week with an undisclosed injury. That undisclosed injury turned out to be COVID-19. Um, he's obviously been cleared because he started practicing again. He may not play Thursday, though, because he was out pretty much the entire training camp with this what they had called on disclosed injury and now we found out it was COVID-19 uh, but do keep in mind if he does play Thursday he, we're going to see limited minutes out of him because COVID-19 is causes players to be breathless so even if they're fully recovered from it sometimes they're still don't have their cardio fully up okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. so he if he plays if anything he's gonna spend more time on the bench may not get you the most points but hopefully by the weekend he'll be fully back and uh good with his cardio um and then i'm just going to mention two teams that kind of had a COVID outbreak kind of like what happened in the uh in the nba so the dallas stars had a huge COVID outbreak the nhl after testing all the players had about 27 players that came out positive and 17 of them were from dallas stars so they had quite a few COVID injuries initially it was six players and two staff that's tested positive and then they had about 17 players that came forward after that with that so then you know obviously some of them turned out to be false positives as they are now back to practicing this all happened this past Friday so some of them were false positives because uh, like I said they're back uh, but then they noticed that some of the players that were missing practice were Essa Lindell, Jamie Olesiak, uh, and so on. So obviously these were players that were positive yeah. or because most of the team has already been cleared and has been through that contact uh, isolation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then moving on to Vancouver. So Vancouver just only had a couple cases, just JT Miller and Jordy Ben. So it was Jordy Ben that had a positive and JT Miller was a close contact of his because JT Miller is currently living with him. They live in the same yeah, house. Yeah, they're like roommates or something. Yeah, right? exactly. So uh, the positive um, may have been false. We don't actually know, but he still had to go into quarantine and they're going to retest him and see. But even so, they put JT Miller in quarantine with him. Regardless, we're not going to see these guys until at least Wednesday of next week. Reason being, the Vancouver Canucks are on the road until next Wednesday when they play the Habs. So the road trip, they've the team has already left. And since they're in quarantine, even if they get cleared and they were like, oh, it's a false positive, they're, they're not going to play. They're not going to join the team. They're not going to come on the road trip. They're just going to okay. stay at home and then they'll play Wednesday. Wait, so yeah. either way, like they're not going to play all weekend. Don't even put them in your lineup. All right, uh, that about wraps up the injury report, I think. Uh, Victoria, thank you for your time. No problem. And just once again, um, make sure that you check out this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Um, take a look in the description below. We have our Facebook. Follow us at Fantasy Fanatics Podcast on Instagram at Podcast Fantasy Fanatics. 
and we'll also have the link to view the standings for the hockey pool that we're running. And just once again, thank you for listening to the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. We'll catch you again on our next episode.